Booktopia, a show for the Monero community where all are welcome to join. From noob to maxi, no matter what bags you hold. Just sit back and relax to the sweet sounds of Monero's latest progress. Or if you're feeling inspired, join us on stage. Remember, the only thing that can stop Monero is a false belief that it can be stopped. And if you want to win the revolution faster, we recommend you remove your XMR from all custodial exchanges immediately. Warning, boating accidents are common around here. Don't forget to properly secure your private keys. Monerotopia starts now. Alrighty, Tux, good morning, man. Good morning. What's going on? <sighs> a lot, right? I feel like there's a lot going on in Monero these days. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm getting new vibes. A lot, lot of different projects popping up. All, all good indications. Healthy ecosystem. I'm seeing a lot more Twitter action. I'm seeing like converts too on Twitter. Uh, people that have, you know, or that are moving oh, yeah. away from Bitcoin to Monero. I think wow. I, I gave one of those um, tweets to, to Tony to put into the news, but I'm like, I'm seeing that here and there. Uh, so all things, all things good in my mind, as always, uh, <laughs> for Monero. And that we're working on a lot. I'm ex- I, can, I can't wait till we can like really start to talk about the, the bazaar, the XMR bazaar. I'm getting, I'm yeah, getting, it's just getting been very like, excited about that. Still going, just takes a while to make something so did you do any more testing of the of the escrow of the yeah i did okay i did um i did get it to go through all the way um there's there's some stuff that needs to be worked out but needless to say it did work it did work all the way through till the end where everybody got their appropriate amounts so yep sweet pretty cool sweet i mean that there is no uh, currently there is no other multi you know multi-sig based Monero marketplace, right? Yeah, not that I know of. Fearnet or Darknet, right? I think I don't think even any of the dark markets are using Monero multisig for, right? As yeah, I'm not sure. Somebody even knows. Even, I've been trying to figure out. Yeah, I've been doing a little know. research on that. I haven't been able to find, but I don't I don't think so. So I think this would kind of be the the first, which is very cool. And obviously it'll be all open source so people can do what they want with it. Uh but we're hoping XMR Bizarre itself gained, gained some good traction, and the UI I think is looking pretty slick, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's going to yeah. be pretty good. It's going to be yeah. pretty good. Very excited about that. Um, all right, yeah, let's let's move along fast. Is there anything we want to put out there? Any announcements or anything? I don't I don't think so. Right? Any housekeeping? Yeah, um, I think we can just go ahead and jump into the uh, the price report. Yeah, we got we got a jam packed show as always, so we'll we'll go ahead and jump to price. Let's do it. The Monerotopia Price Report segment is sponsored by Local Monero. Avoid using KYC exchanges. Buy and sell Monero directly for fiat, peer-to-peer. Good morning, buddy. There. Hello, hello. We got buddy. Is he around? Yeah. Oh, wait. Gentlemen. Oh, there he is. Hey, buddy. <laughs> Sorry about that. What's going on, man? Uh, just chilling, having a good time. Sweet. Um, My sound is not quite perfect right now. It's not bad. That's fine to me. Yeah. You sound a little okay, over, but other than that, you say saying... <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting like my own voice on an echo here. Oh shit! Okay, no, that's that's fine. No, no, no. you have you have the headphones. You got headphones? Yeah, yeah, I got the headphones. Mm. I'll just ignore me. All right, that's As annoying. Though. That's that's hard to do. What changed? I don't know what changed. No, it's my fault. I just a configuration I haven't set. Okay. Anyways, so we got a jam packed show today. 
I'm actually really excited to hear about the um, the atomic swaps because we can go both ways now. Yeah, that's that's big news, and it's my understanding it's working. So we'll we'll have them on. We could uh, please stick around for that if you can, buddy, so we could you know ask them ask them some questions, some technical for questions. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've got my own questions. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure uh, I'll answer them. Yeah, okay, so um, nothing happened with Bryce, and uh, we can move on. <laughs> Good talking to you. <laughs> all right yeah, but we'll keep it short if you want it's like august it's kind of funny right this is this is a thing though right in the broader markets isn't august always like doldrums with and then like september things start up again there was um i think in 2015 and this is like when i first started paying attention to markets was um there was like a massive crash in the stock market i say massive but it was like a big crash but i don't know i think the plunge protection team came in and like stopped everything i think it crashed like 20 percent um yeah. In, Go ahead. In August? Uh, it was August 2015. I, oh. I'm pretty sure it was August. Maybe it was September. Actually, you know, we've got this like cool application here that can tell us when that actually happened. Hmm. All right. So we're looking at the NASDAQ here. Maybe we should go to like the weekly or something. That was a while ago. 2015. Is uh, NASDAQ? No, it isn't. Yeah, that was August. Okay. August oh, wow. 17th. Yeah. So the last act of August was about eight years ago <laughs> for the stock market. That was 2015. Yeah. Mm, okay. I'm trying to take myself. That was kind of like that was like right before I had started getting into cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. I was like, I think Ron. What happened is Ron Paul came back on the horn, and I saw some commercial. I was like watching TV, and Ron Paul popped up, and I was like, "Man, I should really get back into the Liberty thing." Like, uh-huh. lazy for the last. <laughs> Those were my BTC Maxi days from like uh, 2014, 2015. That's uh, yeah, so, so probably around that time I, I was rooting for the crashes to try to grab grab more Bitcoin before we really understood. Yeah. Forgive me. Yes. <laughs> I don't want the global economy to collapse. Like that would be bad for me and bad for basically everyone too. Yeah. Well, I was being selfish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you yeah, any less than eight years ago. Any 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 bigger broader news? I I haven't been following price action at all but anything to of note uh we got the cpi okay Uh, so the cpi came out on thursday um and it looks like the core has dropped a little bit so core inflation is um all of inflation minus energy and food so we dropped just a little bit there for the first time in since looks about a year the cpi actually bumped up just slightly uh we we went up by like i don't know 0.1 percent um I I think a lot of people are starting to realize that or come to some kind of agreement that the CPI is probably going to be sticky. Um, it's it's going to be difficult to get these numbers back down to like the Fed's quote unquote target of 2%. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll look back here just a little bit so that we can have some kind of reference. You'll notice that, so the orange line is kind of the important line that we really want to look at. The core CPI is what the Fed looks at and Energy and food can vacillate, but the core CPI um, is sort of like all goods. Um, at any rate, what we want to do is get back down to kind of these historical levels, and that's going to be pretty hard to do, I think. So historical levels would be somewhere around like this area right here. Uh, it's, a, it's a very rough estimation. Um, so you can see that basically the producer price index, so what manufacturers are paying for their products or to manufacture their products, is pretty close to back in trend. It's not exactly back in trend. Um, but here's the CPI and then here's the, the core inflation. It, and and by, by the way, obviously this is assuming that they're 
um, manufactured, fabricated slash, um, I don't know, the, the numbers that they, that they fuck with. This is assuming that what happened back here is equivalent to what's happening right here in terms of their reporting. And that's not necessarily a good assumption because they're always kind of like fiddling or fucking with the, with the way they calculate CPI. Um, so for example, it, one assumption they have is that, oh, well, if, if, if inflation is high, uh, people won't buy uh, prime rib or ribeye anymore. They'll, they'll go buy spam, the, the canned meat. And that's probably not the best assumption that they could make. Um, so there's like all of these adjustments they started doing in the 80s to, to sort of fudge the numbers towards the downside. Um, but at any rate, like I, I do think it's important to try and think inside of their little paradigm so that we can understand like how they think and uh, maybe how the plebs think. And and also just to have like some kind of basis by which we can we can compare today to yesterday. So given their fudged numbers, what we really want to see is this core inflation, which is currently at 4.7. We want to see this thing get back down to here. We want to see it get back into trend uh, with what happened basically for the last 20 years since like the 90s. Mm -hmm. um, right now, that's not happening. And you can see it's it's actually very sticky. Like while we've had a nice big drop in the, uh, in the producer price index and the CPI, the core inflation has not really wanted to come down. Like we're still kind of just barely, barely, barely getting down. Anyways, and um, core, so we have like you said, core inflation out and, core and inflation they, they, they weren't great, but they're not terrible either. I mean, can <laughs> all things considered with what they did uh, in the crazy events of 2020, which shall not be mentioned. Um, one thing I hadn't been paying attention to, I guess, for a while is the M2. So the M2 is actually bumped up slightly. These numbers are delayed by like 30 days, 45 days. So the last data we have is from June 1st. Obviously, that's about two months ago. Um, we had a big bump up in the M2, which is interesting to me. Maybe it's not that surprising, though, because the stock market is, has gone up. Like, probably banks are giving loans, and the M2 has increased because of all the loans that are happening, um, which is why we've seen reasonably positive action in the stock market. Um, one thing I also wanted to show you guys was the, uh, the IMF. Okay, so back in um, back in March... We had a chorus of crypto bros that were explaining how the dollar was mid-collapse and the whole world was going to reject it for world reserve currency, and it was over. And I presented to them the International Monetary Fund uh, chart, which sort of breaks down which fiat currencies are used as reserves. They also use gold as reserves, and I, maybe there's some other um, reserve assets that central banks hold. Uh, I'm not totally sure, but at any rate, we were... The data that we had was for Q4, and I remember saying, listen, guys, the, the U.S. dollar is still something like 55 or 54% used as central bank reserves, and the chorus of crypto bros told me how wrong I was and how that was going to collapse very soon. Um, so we got the most recent data. I think it was like a couple weeks ago. I meant to show you guys this uh, last week, but anyways, uh, the situation changed just slightly, and the U.S. dollar is slightly more dominant as of Q1. So it doesn't look like the world is rejecting the U.S. dollar as central bank reserves. And this kind of makes sense because no nation or hardly any nation really wants to open up their capital markets and export their currency in such a way that um, erodes their manufacturing base. For example, China would be your first, like that would be the first person you'd look at, right? But China is a mercantilist country that does, that basically makes their money on exports. 
why on earth would they want to open up their capital markets and erode their manufacturing base? That's their source of power. And they're still industrializing. Like there's still a lot of China that's not like, that's not up to date, you know, with the latest technology that's still kind of like living uh, 50 years ago. Anyways, the point is that the dollar still looks pretty sound, still looks pretty good. Um, quote unquote, good. Please don't hang me. I don't mean good as in like the absolute sense. I just mean the relative sense. Uh, so, and in the relative sense, we'll look at the Dixie. Um, I've drawn some extra lines here and this is just me trying to make sure that I'm not interpreting a chart in a wrong way. So we've got, uh, this line here, we've got that line there where I'm, I'm basically trying to draw the chart or draw the line as shallow and as steep as I possibly can so that I can have a good range to understand um, where I might be able, like where I might be wrong. Because um, let's let's move these lines out for a moment. So right now we're sitting basically at this level. And we've talked about for a while that that this line here that started back in, uh, in at the end of 2022 is probably going to end up breaking to the upside. At some point, this thing is going to move to the upside. And the dollars, the dollar index is going to make a big, strong comeback. Um, this is strength. Like looking at this chart right here, this is strength. Now I know that we saw this like crazy crash right here and it totally, it totally fooled me. Um, I was like, oh crap, like we might, we might really actually be about to go into some kind of, um, I don't know, massive explosion of risk assets and everything was going to, was going to pump big. Um, but when so this thing crashed, but when this thing got back up above here and then closed another couple days above, that's that was basically telling you like no, this was a fake out. Because normally what you would want to see is like this would this would drop, you'd come up to this line, you would maybe try and get back up, and then down here would signal that okay, mad gains are on the way. Um, but that's not what happened. This was just a fake out. All of this was just a fake out. So, anyways, right now we're basically sitting at this line again. And this is strength. You, you bump up against this line multiple times. You expect that you're eventually going to break it. So the thing that I wanted to show you guys with um, with the downsloping lines here uh, was that there's kind of like this extra zone, if you will, where it's like, okay, we broke the line. This is the main line right here. This is the most important line. But there's still kind of like you could still, if you really wanted to try and draw it, you know, in a different way on the daily, not using the wick, but using the close price on the daily. Um, we could we could say that this is kind of another extra zone. And uh, a lot of people that call charting astrology would criticize this notion and they wouldn't be wrong. Um, but it's it's just important to to do this because it's really easy to get carried away. Say we broke the line and now we're going to go up and, you know, I'm taking all my shorts on the stock market or whatever. Dollar index broke the line. So anyways, um, this is just kind of like a thing that you should do if you're if you're a degenerate trader, if you're an astrologer chart person, um, just make sure that you're you're drawing the lines in all the ways they might be able to be drawn. And you'll probably save yourself some pain by doing so. Um, let's go ahead and take a look at Monero. Now, let's look at the big picture. There was a guy, uh, Monero Tony, good guy on uh, on Twitter. And he asked me, how do you look at the volatility of various assets? There's actually quite a few ways to do it. There's like implied volatility. Um, there's a few major um, ways that people look at it. The way that I prefer to look at it involves standard deviations. Um, and that's what these blue lines are. So if you were to take the moving standard deviation, so think of it like moving average, but moving standard deviation, 
what you would have here is how wide is that standard deviation, right? So for example, if you have price that's oscillating wildly, the standard deviation is going to be significantly larger. If you have price that is constrained to a narrow band, the standard deviation is going to be much, much lower. Now, the question here is how many days back do you want to look? You could look back 10 days, 100 days, 1,000 days. And so that's what all of these blue lines are right here. These are different look back periods. It's exactly like moving average. You might look back at the 10-day moving average or the 100-day moving average or the 1,000-day moving average. Um, for Monero, I think we've only got maybe 3,000. Take a look here. We've got about 3,300 bars, days, because we're on the daily uh, of data. So basically what I do, just like I've showed you guys with the wave magic, we, we plot them all together. Um, and then we, we look at where the clusters are. So what's happening right here is that Monero's, uh, Monero's volatility has dropped off to its lowest ever. Like all of this clustering here that you see at the, at the bottom right, and expand that just a bit. Um, all of this clustering right here is indicating that we have very, very low volatility, or, or at least for the lifetime of the chart. Um, the other thing that we have is the long, long-term standard deviations are still falling from the 2017 uh, kind of blow off off top. Um, so typically when we're looking at, um, people would call them Bollinger, Bollinger Bands. Um, I just call it volatility or wave magic or standard deviation analysis. Um, what, what you see normally with charts is that when you get a constrained volatility, when you, when you get sort of compressing volatility, it acts as a spring. And personally, what I think is that the market loves to speculate. So what they do is they decide, okay, we're going to, we're going to speculate on the price in some direction, whatever, and it's going to get carried away with itself. And it happens all the time. You've seen it everywhere and basically every asset. And then after that blow off or crash or whatever, which, whichever direction it, it, it's going, um, the market decides, Hey, you know, we've been really irrational for kind of a while. So let's, let's just chill out and uh, let's try and establish like whatever the real price is. We speculated as much as we can. And, uh, Let's try and let's just try and cool off and, and figure out what the real price of this asset is. So in a lot of ways, that's kind of what happens um, with every asset. And when you see this constraining volatility, and, and you can actually see this on the wave magic, because again, the top blue lines are standard deviation, the upper standard deviation of price, and the orange lines are the lower standard deviation of price. Don't worry about the purple and the red. We're just gonna turn that off a bit more, more than we should get into here today. But the point is that. At some point, the market, after having cooled off and, and sort of this volatility compression happens, people start to get the appetite again that maybe we could speculate again. Um, we've decided what the, what the real value of the asset is, and now um, let's, let's speculate on the future again. And pretty much all assets kind of go, I shouldn't say all assets because stocks are kind of their own animal, but in a broad sense, um, we see this over and over again. So uh, what we've got here with Monero is the, what I, again, the wave magic, uh, which is standard deviation analysis, clustering of bands. Uh, we have the, the lower, sorry, the, the moving average, which is in white, has been acting as a pretty good support. And you can see the way that these bands have become more and more constrained over time. Um, I do expect that this should eventually break to one direction or the other. <laughs> if, we're, if we're talking about just like pure chart analysis, you would say this will break to one direction or the other. Obviously, um, Monero is very used in a lot of contexts, and it seems to be more and more used. So uh, this is a very long-term chart. This could take till next year. This could even take till 2025 to, to actually really break. So 
nothing really happened with any of the assets, any of the prices, uh, stock market, cryptocurrency, et cetera. Once again, uh, Monero proving that it's a, a stable coin, you know? Monero is a stable coin, but it seems to me like most of crypto is being stable right now. Yeah, for sure. Good analysis, though. Um, all right, so we might be sitting around to 2025. <laughs> <laughs> we, we could. Like, I don't want to lie to you guys. What what what's your what's your feel on the broader market though? Like I, I kind of ask you this all the time, but um, you know, what's what's your latest feel? We headed towards, you know, they're talking about recession all the time. Does recession ever comes? Tell us the future, body. Yeah, what's what's your latest take? Oh shit! I left my crystal ball in the bar <laughs> last night. <laughs> okay, I'll just have to wing it. <laughs> um, let's talk about the the macro of crypto and then the broader macro. So right now we've got Binance is on the ropes, like we've talked about for a while. CZ has been trash talking USDT. He like tried to lost, uh, launch his own stablecoin. I'm not, no one believes him. Um, CZ went back to prison. I think we're going to talk about, a little bit more about that later today, but the judge doesn't believe CZ, or, or sorry, uh, SBF, Sam, Mr. Sam, the bank man, uh, went back to prison. So we've kind of got like good things and bad things. We've got signal, counter signal. I think overall in the macro sense, if Binance falls, if Binance is taken down by the Justice Department or the Injustice Department, we we could definitely probably look at crypto taking a big dip there because Binance is kind of the last remaining major exchange. On the other hand, we've got the ETFs and it does look to me like big corporations are building ETH quote unquote L2. It's more like some kind of glorified multi-sig where they can still take your money and they call it L2. Uh but that should buy them time for like many years until the government catches up with it. Regardless, we've got kind of like these negative price pressures here with the Gox coins, perhaps CZ getting taken down and Binance like having problems. And I'm all for Binance getting taken down. Like, honestly, if we have to endure some price problems, we have endured price problems in Monero for a long time. So, you know, the rest of the cryptocurrency ecosystem. And you'd say a lot of that was caused by Binance. Say again? And you'd say some of that was caused by Binance. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Unresounding. Yeah, uh, unquestionably, they've been reserving or fractionally reserving their Monero assets. And they were such a popular, like CZ was the holy, one of the holy patron saints of cryptocurrency for so long. Are you sure they're even fractionally reserving at this point? Are they wholly reserving? <laughs> no, I mean, just no reserves. Because wasn't they, that uh, in I 2020, that was a thing for banks. And that, nah, I don't know. I don't think Binance can do it. But banks, they were they were able to suddenly not reserve any anything. Oh, yeah. the um, I remember that. Like they removed one of the last in 2008 or after 2008, they removed one of the last alleged backstops against the printing of money. Like they don't have to hold hardly any reserves anymore. Um, I do know that Binance does seem to not be shutting down XMR withdrawals like they were last year. So that, that's almost kind of an incredible thing if you think about it. Binance was heavily fractionally reserved to the point that they could barely meet withdrawals. And Monero still performed better in the bear market, pretty much every other coin. So overall macro, what are you saying? There's tail risk. Tail risk is growing. Um, let's take a quick look at the um, at the interest rates. So we're still not quite like where you would where you would look at that happened here in 2008. Or I'm sorry, uh, that was 2020. This over here is 2008, and then we could like go all the way back to uh, 2001 after the uh, the crash of the dot com. You can see that basically the federal funds rate was above everything and it was above everything for a while. Like there's kind of like this flat top table here that happens before things really crash. Same thing here. Um, we're still not like we haven't reached that tabletop moment. 
like they're still the one year is still above the federal funds rate. So the other thing that's important to keep in mind is that now the Federal Reserve has the reverse repos and they can really kind of like hoist the um, all of the, the rates to the upside. And maybe they can even prevent like a quote unquote recession. Uh, again, these numbers are also they, they fudge all these numbers that it's it's hard to um, it's hard to make heads or tails of them sometimes. Usually the the adjustments they make are slow and steady. So like there's kind of like this bias in the charts um, or bias that you can slowly keep track of rather than like completely changing everything on a whim. Um, let's take a look at the 10 year yield here. Now, when I look at this chart instinctively, I say this thing is ready to pounce to the upside like this. We, we had the breakout. We had the retest here. It came back to the upside like this thing looks like it wants to go to the upside now. It's the 10-year yield chart, so you have to realize that it's tied to the Federal Reserve interest rates. So there's probably some limitation factor that will happen in this chart, even though it looks very bullish. Um, probably if it gets to this level here, right, the, the previous all-time high, and not all-time high, I'm sorry, local high, uh, which would be at about 4.3%, that would end up acting as some kind of um, resistance. But um, overall, in the big macro picture, to answer your question, Doug, I'm sorry for being long-winded here. We're, we're looking at a situation where the tail risk events and tail risk means that the potential for some big crash or some like something that only happens once a decade or once every two decades, we are looking at a higher risk for that. Um, but at the same time, there are notable differences. <laughs> it's different this time uh, where maybe we don't have some major, major crash. Um, we have M2 monetary supply for the rest of the world has been continually going up. Um, it's, it's just not clear that necessarily we're going to crash. There's kind of a theory by a guy named Russell Napier, where he says that to get the the debt to GDP ratio down, because we have so much, we, it's not my debt, I didn't do it, <laughs> fuck those guys, but the debt to GDP ratio is so high, it's basically um, as high as it's ever been, um, the other time was after World War II, the only way to get that down is they need to keep inflation high, and they need to sort of monetize over that debt to GDP whether they can do that is, is really a big question. The debt payments or the, the interest payments on the debt have grown quite large. Um, they surprised even me. I didn't think they could even get to 5% without like totally crashing the economy and totally crashing their entire monetary structure, but apparently they've been able to do it. Um, I would say just be careful on the macro if you own stocks and just, just know that like this is a good spot for a top. Um, there's a few indicators that tell us this. So for example, the, the NASDAQ to the S&P ratio, something I keep track of. In good times, people speculate into the NASDAQ because that's tech stocks. And in bad times, they seek the safety of um, dividend-paying, long-term proven stocks, which is typically the S&P. So uh, with the standard deviation analysis or the, the wave magic, we kind of like hit this spot right here. It's very difficult to break above this spot right here. Like this is a very hard limiting factor. It's it's not like a, a trend line. Like you wouldn't look at this and say, okay, this is a hard, you can't get above this blue line. You would just say this area right here is a hard zone of resistance. And you could say the same thing on, uh, what are we looking at here, the NASDAQ? You would say the same thing on the NASDAQ. When we started approaching the top of this line, I started getting really uncomfortable that things are looking like reversal. Because these are very long-term charts, and after you make a big move to the downside, you establish a whole cluster of new standard deviations, uh, lower standard deviations. And then you move to the upside, almost never, like maybe one out of 10 times, you'll just hit this line, 
establish it as support and then break to the upside. Most cases, you're going to hit this line. You either will come back to the downside immediately or you'll oscillate around it for a while and then come back down. So I think macro, just just be careful. Like don't be betting large amounts on the next, on the new bull market upside. I do think that there's a high likelihood that the the overall markets need to move back down. They need to establish some lower range support. Could be higher, probably will be higher than the last one because um, they're still printing money, obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's about it. Maybe there's one more thing we could look at, which is the overnight uh, repurchase agreements. This to me, intuitively, it feels like bottoming structure uh, right here. I mean, everything that's happening down there, that feels a lot like a bottoming structure, um, which would mean that people are getting worried. They don't want to keep pumping money into the stock market. Um, they're, they're finding some reason to, uh, to stop pulling money out of the Federal Reserve overnight repurchase um, facility. Uh, where they get paid about 5%. So, um, yeah, I guess, I guess that's about it. Like, there's really, right. like, the, the markets themselves were pretty flat. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll just have to see. All righty. Thank you, as always, Body. Greatly appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, guys. Yeah, stick Body. around. Man. Uh, you could ask some atomic swap questions. Indeed. Ducks, let's, uh, let's keep it moving. All right. Thanks, Body, as always. So, um, it looks like we we might. So, we got... Um, we got Dr. Kapil um, in the backstage, but we don't have CryptoGuard. Oh, okay. So we're waiting. Yeah, I guess so. Um, he hasn't responded. Um, let's um, let's do Dev. Let's do Dev. Tony. Tony Dev. When does Tony have to be out of here by? 1 p.m. <laughs> all right. So I, th- I think we're still good. Okay. Yeah, so all right. Dev report. I see a lot of people are in the spaces. I just posted. Yeah, there's a lot of people in there. Link to the YouTube if you guys want to watch it instead of listen yeah, to it. Yeah, the YouTube looks better, obviously. It sounds better, too, uh, even if you're just listening. So yeah, feel free to join in on that. Or, or stay on the space. I think a lot of people stay on the spaces because it's easier for them to run on their phone and like shut shut their screen, you know, because YouTube yeah, does do Yeah, yeah. Unless you use an NVIDIAS instance, which is like the proxy for YouTube, then you can, yeah. you can bypass that, no problem. Uh, oh, it looks like we got CryptoGuard in the backstage. So uh, which one? Which pathway are we choosing? CryptoGuard, if he's ready. Are they ready? I uh, guess so. Bring him oh, up. Oh, wait for, uh, I think Dr. Bill said CryptoGuard will be on in 10. So, uh. All right, let's let's do dev report. Let's do the dev report. Let's do it. Let's go. And now for the Monero development segment. All right, let's pull up. All right, Digun. Digun, good morning. Hey, what's going (laughs) on, man? Nothing much. How y'all doing? Good, good, good. This 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 is this is good. Atomic swaps, perfect. Yeah, um, this is actually in relation to last week. I saw Samurai Wallet put out a. Um, they are working on atomic swaps in their. Yeah, not in their wallet, I guess if you want to say because they're still a Bitcoin only wallet, but they're working on getting swaps going between Monero and Bitcoin. So I just want to talk about some of the uh, atomic swap like privacy dangers you would run into if you're a Monero user interested in. Bitcoin, I guess, from via atomic swaps. Because I honestly haven't studied Bitcoin in like forever. Because like you know, uh, <laughs> but um, there are some dangers that we can look at historically from a developmental standpoint that you will run into um, swapping into Bitcoin. Just privacy concerns, and also just I want to get rid of this myth that you can swap into Monero and sort of get the privacy benefits and then swap out of Monero. Oh yeah, 
So I'm going to keep it really quick and really short. Um, All right, perfect. Yeah, because then we have Particle, who's going to be talking about their their bi-directional atomic swap solution. Yeah, I didn't want to cover the technical parts of the topic. You have the experts in the room, so I'm just going to go over the privacy concerns. So basically, re- recently, Samurai Wallet was like, we're working on atomic and atomic swaps between Bitcoin and XMR. The idea is that you have the Samurai Wallet, which is a Bitcoin-only wallet, and then I believe there's some um, Monero wallet. I, I forgot what name of it but they're working on getting the Monero side of it. And you can swap back and forth between Monero and Bitcoin. And you might ask who's, who's Samurai Wallet. Samurai Wallet is amazing. They actually have a Monero talk. Of course, everyone in the crypto space has a, <laughs> anything <laughs> remotely related to privacy has a Monero talk. And they're really cool. They, um, they're they um, really great guys in the Bitcoin space fighting a good fight. Um, one of the only even, one of the last places privacy is even trying to be attempted to in the Bitcoin space. So really good guys. You know, I'm not a, a Bitcoin guy. And they're not, you know, they're they're Bitcoin devs, but they're really good. But so I don't want to, I don't want to like, you know, bash anyone or say anything. Oh, look at these Bitcoins. They're like actually one of the only last true Bitcoiners, in my opinion. But that's one other issue. And one of the the, the to keep it short and sweet. The big issue with this, if if you look at Atomic Swap, if you were the guy thinking, I have Bitcoin, I'm going to swap into Monero, I'm going to get some privacy and swap out back into Bitcoin. That doesn't really work and historically because that would be what you would call chain hopping. And even before atomic swaps, chain hopping is when someone let's say someone steals some Bitcoin and they want to keep it private. What um, what they would do is they would hop into a different chain and then hop back into Bitcoin. And this has actually resulted historically people being traced. And if you remember the WannaCry hacks a while ago, there's this really beautiful art- article written by Nick Bax, and it goes into how they actually track people across chains. And this, and this attack vector wouldn't really change with atomic swaps, right? Because you would still hop into Bit, um, from Bitcoin into Monero, which is fine for privacy. The issue is when you hop back out, you can be traced essentially because Bitcoin is a transparent chain. So there's that. And to give a visual example here, at the top you have a Bitcoin transaction. All the amounts are here. The addresses are here. And then below you have a Monero transaction, which is sort of encrypted, you could think. So pretty much... Um, Monero doesn't give Bitcoin privacy. There's a lot of, this myth has been around for a while, I would say. And not anyone, like not Samurai Wallet doesn't promote this. No one I know that actually is a dev promotes this idea that if you have Bitcoin, you can swap into Monero and get privacy. The recommended way if you actually want to get privacy is just to use Monero. You know, <laughs> there's not much, you, you can't hop from a transparent chain into a private chain, back into a transparent chain and have any real hope, at least historically, right, with chain hopping and things like that for privacy. But atomic swaps are generally good. One of the main two case um, use cases they have right now is um, Whirlpool users who have change in Bitcoin, essentially. And you would get Bitcoin change in this context by using their mixing services, but having a little bit left over, right? So you have some left over that isn't worth mixing. You could swap it into Monero and have Monero, you know? And then the number two scenario is if you're a current Monero user and you want to pay for a service in Bitcoin, essentially, you can use atomic swaps to do it. Because right now you might use something like Cake Wallet or Torcador app, which is um, centralized custodial for a, a short time period, right? But with atomic swaps, you could make it non-custodial, atomic, secure, decentralized now. And just keep it short, uh, how much Bitcoin do y'all think is in the Samurai Wallet mixing? And the Samurai Wallet mixing pool is pretty much like the only way you're going to have any Bitcoin privacy if you if you hope for it. So how much y'all think is in it right now? And it's pretty much all it mixes the coins together and it gives pretty much a massive coin joint. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Y'all think, yeah. See, uh, 
One million. I go with a million, actually. Okay, let's see how close you are. I don't think one billion. Use it. One billion. Whoa. The answer is actually two hundred and fifty-one million. So if you said one million, you're wait. Yeah, you said two hundred fifty-one million. Actually, is the answer. So let's go back. Um, two hundred. Yeah, so I think this is the closest answer here. Hundred million. Okay. That's way yeah. more than I would have thought. Yeah, no, a wow. lot of people want privacy, but in retrospect, Monero's um, market cap is two billion. So, <laughs> <laughs> and that's like not all really automatic. Com- yeah, yeah, not really comparable in that context. But you know, with, uh, some of our wild guys are uh, good stuff. Bitcoin every day is heading down a path that's not good, and there's some of the last people still standing within that path. So I think their work is oh, yeah. Good, the Samurai like Wallet people are mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah, they're cool. You know, a Bitcoin, it is what it is. You know. <laughs> Not gonna do too much on that, but they're great people. They do really good, good stuff. You know, if I was a Bitcoiner, I'd be using this. So really cool stuff. But that pretty much wraps up my end. Oh, my end. Very much. There's a great. This really good article tracing wanna try wanna cry 2.0 mineral transactions. It is a beautiful example of what goes wrong when you try to use different chains, hop back and forth, and get privacy. Like you want privacy, just use Monero. You know, you don't don't swap back and forth. But really great article. It, it's actually tracks like North Korean hackers through um, different um, non-KYC exchanges and how they were still caught. It talks about some different um, nuances in Monero. It's like a beautiful art article. You can Google it if you want to learn some more. But I think that's pretty much it for me. Once again, uh, Siramar Wallet, a good guy. They have a interview with, I believe, Doug here and also some Monero core devs here. Really great guys, you know, doing some cool stuff with Bitcoin. And Bitcoin, you know, is what it is. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much it. All right. And yeah, stick around because we're going to now get deeper into Atomic Swaps. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited. And stick around. Maybe you could ask some questions. Mm-hmm. All Good right. Good stuff, Dagoon. Thank you so much, as always. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Dagoon. Let's give a, give a clap for Dagoon. <laughs> so he's bringing up the, uh, the guest ag- next. Aggressive clap. <laughs> yes, very. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's bring up the guest. Let's do it. All right, guest segment. Let's. The Monerotopia guest segment is sponsored by Cake Wallet. Store, send, receive, and exchange your Monero and Bitcoin safely on iOS and Android too. Cake Wallet is open source, and you always control your own keys. Hello, guys. Good morning. Hello, hello. Hey. How's it going? Really good. Thanks, man. Thanks for thanks for jumping on and doing this. Greatly appreciate it. Is uh, thank you for. The invitation again. Good presentation by Digun. Yeah, you guys want to quickly intro yourselves? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So um, my name is Dr. Kapil Amrasinghe, uh, and with me is CryptoGuard. I'm an advisor to the Particle Project, and CryptoGuard is sort of heavily involved with the team and communication side of things as well. Um, and you know, we, as part of the Particle Project, we're a privacy project we've built a privacy focused ecosystem of decentralized applications um one of them actually two of them actually that we got to showcase at monerotopia and again thank you douglas for inviting us that was really an amazing i'll keep calling it a festival i say you know you know when you're like you're expecting a conference full of uh, i've been to a few crypto conferences and you kind of go in before you go in you're like i was thinking oh it's going to be suits, yada, yada. And then I was like, oh, no. Complete opposite. Yeah. That's a really good way to put it because that's honestly more what I felt like. It's like. It was like a burning man for, for digital cash. Uh, <laughs> you completely nailed it, man. It was just, it was fantastic. 
Um, awesome. and well, just, you had a good time, man. Yes, I saw you having a good time out there. Thank you so much. And it was a really great opportunity to actually, you know, present our presentation for the basic swap decks and the particle ecosystem as a whole. You know, thank you so much for giving us that opportunity and, and for publishing it online as well recently. It's really appreciated. Of course, of course. And now you, you've since made progress, right? And now we're, we're, we're up and running, correct? Yeah, so just to kind of give a general update and to give a bit of grounding on this, uh, the Particle Project essentially built a decentralized exchange that utilizes atomic swaps, which is called the Basic Swap Dex. Now, it supports Monero for bidirectional atomic swaps. Um, the issue up to the point at which we basically premiered and, and innovated this was that Monero didn't natively support programmable inputs. So doing straight, straight, uh, atomic swaps by by direction was hard. It just wasn't possible. What we essentially did was we utilized a couple of technology updates within the general sphere. So we kind of took work from scriptless scripts and we essentially used something called adapter signatures. And we deployed these into, I guess we'll call it an intermediary layer. And I stress this is a tokenless layer. It's essentially um, a peer-to-peer -peer encrypted mixnet which basically links the two chains together and acts as the layer through which the smart contract for the swap executes. Um, and we basically done this in such a way that you can have an extremely private atomic swap, say with Monero against another cryptocurrency. The initial limitation with our decks was that when you were doing Monero swaps, because it didn't support native, it didn't support programmable inputs, you could only have Monero offers as a taker. Uh, but now with our most recent update, we've actually kind of reverse engineered that process and you can essentially do bids with Monero as maker and taker. And the nice thing about it is depending on what chain you're swapping with, you know, it, it, it certainly chains that support Taproot, for example, like Bitcoin. If you've got Taproot supported Bitcoin transactions, it can occur in such a way that it just looks like a one-way transfer where an outside party can look and just doesn't see the counterparty transaction. So, you know, we've achieved a very high level of privacy with our decks. Uh, and CryptoGuard, if, if you've got anything to say, you know, appreciate it if you want to add anything on that. Yeah, no, that's pretty much it. The uh, adapter signature swap was initially developed by Joel Guger or hashed in the Monero. He's a Monero contributor. And so that was a pretty significant evolution of atomic swaps, which were initially HTLC based. So the problem with that was that, well, first you couldn't swap Monero using that uh, traditional protocol because of the lack of programmable outputs, but also it stored um, identical hashes on the two participating blockchains. So basically an outside observer, it kind of circles back also to what uh, Digun was mentioning, the um, problem of privacy with atomic swaps, at least uh, the, the initial versions of it, is that a passive observer could basically scan two blockchains, say Bitcoin, Litecoin, or Bitcoin, or you know any other participating blockchain, and see identical hashes at around, let's say, maybe like an hour different uh, in the timestamps. Uh, that's the secret that has to be shared between the two blockchains just to make sure that the swap is going correctly. So that was a big privacy issue because you could basically infer mm. quite easily who has swapped with who else and for what amount and to what addresses. Um, so Joel Guger came in with the uh, revolutionary adapter signature uh, atomic swap protocol. 
that not only allowed Monero to be swapped, but also did away with that um, matching hash issue. Uh, so because of the way that it works, it basically doesn't have to store hashes on the two different chains. Of course, for Monero, that's not so much of an issue because of all the you know encrypted transactions and everything is private. But you could still use adapter signature swaps for Bitcoin to Litecoin, for example. And so by using that, you would fix or at least one of the privacy issue with atomic swap. So that was already a big evolution of, uh, of atomic swap technology. But then as Dr. Capil mentioned, you couldn't swap Monero as the coin being offered uh, just because, you know, one one of the side has to have programmable output. So that, 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 that was a great evolution, but that also brought an obstacle for adapters to be used as a sort of viable option or alternative to centralized exchanges because, right, you want to be able to trade from both sides, obviously. Um, I know we all want to uh, stack Monero and stuff, but uh, just being real, you know, to be able, you have to be able to swap on both sides. So um, the way that we uh, circumvented this issue is not necessarily by improving it at the protocol level. It's rather we use the SNSG network, which is the peer-to-peer network that powers basic swap and the order book. And this is also what automates the steps when you do a swap. Uh, so what we did is we basically added a extra step. So when you want to offer Monero, instead of um, starting the transaction, you know, with an offer that gets a bid and then it goes through, what you publish instead is a basically like a swap request. So it's an extra step that goes before all the real steps of the atom- atomic swap. And then with the SNSG network, when your bid request receives a offer, then the other peer automatically publishes an actual offer on the books and then the process goes on as normally. So in the background, it's the same protocol as you know we had in the beginning, but with this extra step for the user at the user level, it really appears seamless as if be swapping Monero from either the offer or the bidder. Very cool, man. Very cool. I mean, let, let's be clear. This is the first time I think any right first time anybody's yeah. achieved this with atomic swaps in Monero. Uh, to my knowledge, I mean, maybe there were other experiments with it, but to my knowledge, yeah. And so, how usable is it? Uh, how how user friendly is it? Like, what is what is that like? If so, if somebody actually wants to go and perform an atomic swap using Basic Swap from Bitcoin to Monero. So- I would say I would say we're almost there to being dummy friendly, but not quite. And what I'll say with this is when you actually so you've got when you actually compile the decks, so what you're essentially doing is you're compiling a node that joins a network of other nodes. Um, once you get through the installation phase, the actual user interface for basic swap is really, really easy and really intuitive. You don't awesome. need any guidance to actually use the decks once it's installed and set up the issue right now that we have and it probably limits some of our base but i think actually the majority of monero and majority of people who are serious about using monero certainly anyone who's got some familiarity with sort of linux type installations they can easily do the installation either in a windows docker or or in, li- or in some sort of linux based docker setup mm-hmm. so that bit's tricky but once you've done that the user interface is smooth we're continuing to push sort of GUI-based updates uh, to improve that. We've introduced some preliminary market-making scripts that have been sort of tested and shown to work. So in terms of the overall 
interface, once you get it up and running, really easy. You just leave it running so that it stays connected to the network. And then it can see all the offers coming through. And you can make all the offers. And everything works pretty well. Um, what I would say, actually, so CryptoGuard, do you have anything to add to what I've just said there? Uh, no, not really. It's a you know local instance, and it's really node based. So, it, kind of like a cryptocurrency wallet, it, it's got to be online. Uh, yeah, the, as a full node. In our case, you basically have to run full nodes of the chains that you want to swap. So, yeah, I think the main issue in terms of usability with basic swap is mostly the setup phase. Because, you know, you're going to have to sync chains. We're not hiding from this fact. You're going to have to sync chains, uh, build the application manually, even though we have a .exe installer coming on the way. Uh, that should be out fairly soon. But even with that, you got to, you know, there, there's a fair bit of manual labor that has to be done. But, it, you know, it's incremental work that we're doing to sort of reduce these obstacles to adoption. But as anything... Uh, we wanted to get the core right before simplifying it because there's a lot involved. But bear with us as we try to make cool it more to simple. Add, to add to the Monero Nodal project uh, we're working on, right? Uh, just making it super easy for, for somebody to get it going. Um, but like you said, it would require running uh, not just a Monero full node, but a Bitcoin full node as well, right? Essentially? Um, um, yeah, essentially, but you can have a prune node though. Uh, mm -hmm. The syncing process is a bit long, but once it's completed with the prune node, uh, I believe it's, uh, I don't know, Kapil, if you remember, I think it's about 10 gigabytes once it's yeah. you know, pruned and, and all. So, uh, but it, it's, it's the it, syncing it's not process that's a bit longer. It, it's not end of the world stuff. I'll, I'll sort of say this it's not just that it supports Bitcoin, you know, it's got support for Litecoin, uh, Fero, Pivx. Um, I, and and there's a couple of others, a dash. There's a couple of others that we're sort of projects that we're working with in terms of integrations. I think the one thing that I kind of want to stress, aside from the current limitations in the installation and setup, is actually sort of just prior to Monerotopia and since then we've been doing work on a sort of web framework. So we are aware of the need to simplify and make access to Basic Swap a lot easier. Mm -hmm. So we kind of want to build this web framework so essentially you've got a means through which someone could literally just go to a website or literally have it integrated into various other apps and wallets and they can essentially access the basic swap protocol kind of in a somewhat indirectly so it's not as purist decentralized not as purist uh, privacy focused as, as say building the node yourself and, and syncing the various chains but certainly in terms of the accessibility and what we're working towards is literally click a button you're there and someone else is going to potentially host those nodes for you but you can still interact with the wallets in a very decentralized way so I think there is there's a very there's progress to be made what we have right now, if you actually go and set it up, it's very straightforward. And I think the power for what it can do, the potential for what I think it could do is really intriguing. I mean, I think Elizabeth Binks gave a presentation on the XMRF atomic swaps. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she was giving that, you know, you know, me and CG, you know, we looked at that and went, actually, we can integrate her work into basic swap. Um, it's doable. You can potentially incorporate any coin into basic swap. Uh, any kind of architecture could be integrated into basic swap. And so for me, I kind of look at the now and say we've achieved a lot, 
But then I look at the future and I, I think of things like CBDCs, boo. Um, but I think actually, I kind of, I know a lot of people are anti-CBDC, but to me, I just see those as potential direct fiat gateways into a DEX ecosystem. Because I think, I suspect that actually a lot of these different coin architectures are going to be integratable into basic swap. Very Is that cool. Fair? Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, very exciting. Um, what can can you guys give us some insight into usage? Are we are we seeing offers being made to swap from Bitcoin into Monero or or Monero to Bitcoin? Or are you actively seeing these these offers being made? CG, uh, we've seen a few. It's not uh, you know anything that resembles like a centralized exchange, obviously due to uh, usability limitations for now. So I would say the usage right now is more not experimental, but um, you know, people that want to test it out and do a few swaps. The, the most typical transactions that we've heard of, because it's it's all private, right? We don't know what's going on. And there's also a functionality that you can have private order books uh, that are completely hidden from the public. So in, in reality, we don't really know what kind of usage we're getting, but talking to the people in the community, we can sort of get a sense of it. Uh, I think the most common types of swaps that we've seen is not really in terms of how many there are, but the quantity in some pretty uh, big swap going on, you know, people swapping more than $10,000 worth, uh, almost kind of as an OTC desk in a way, when people want to trade coins between each other, uh, we see that all the time in cryptocurrency telegram channels, you know, someone wants to sell a coin of a, a project doesn't want to sell on exchanges because maybe they don't have access to it. Maybe they just don't want to have that transaction be traceable for X, Y, Z reason. Uh, and sometimes these people would ask for an escrow or a third party, a trusted third party to hold the transaction while the two parties transact with basic swap. You can actually just swap the two coins together without a third party. So to my knowledge, so far, this is sort of our uh, biggest type of usage, but we're just mm -hmm. keeping in mind that this is very um, still like a testing phase. Like it's a it's a beta, it's a local instance, so it's more people interested in testing it. Uh, people that are a bit higher in the technical level, as Kepil mentioned, you know, it's I don't think running basic swap will be any issue for most people in the Monero community because I always consider it as a bit more highly technical, uh, fundamental community. Uh, but as we, you know, bring the services to the web, as we make it easier, even build it with an EXE, I expect gradually that will be getting more usage. But really for now, right now, uh, for us right now, it, it really considered this as a beta phase. Um, mm -hmm. So we're really focused I mean, on I, building what we I, need I, to get that increased usage. I, I just... I'd just like to add, you know, certainly as CryptoGuard said, I will admit I've used it as a private OTC exchange uh, amongst people that I trust when I don't necessarily, or not necessarily even people I trust, but people where I've not had to require an escrow. One of the things I'd like to mention is that there's no extraneous fees. It's just the transaction fees of the chain. So you're essentially doing straight swaps. Yeah, and that's one of the big advantages we have over centralized exchanges. Uh, to me, I think it's actually the perfect private OTC desk, if you want my honest opinion. And it works very well as a DEX. Uh, it was one of the questions that appeared on one of your Reddit forums I saw and I didn't answer. It was like, people were asking, is this an AMM? You know, uh, what are the fees? And I kind of wanted to say, 
it's not an AMM, it's a distributed order book, and it has zero fees. And it, so I, I think, yeah, I, what I would say is, whilst we are in a testing phase, we are very open to the idea of, you know, liquidity providers, market makers having a look at this and kind of playing around with the technology and seeing what they can do with it. Because I think there are lots of potential arbitrage opportunities that be, could be created through a network like this, that should be created through a network like this. We, we're talking about an exchange that does not utilize fees at the base protocol layer. And I think actually the broader community should be looking at that and going, yeah, whoa, actually we might be able to beat this centralized exchanges here if we're playing it carefully and playing it smartly. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, and from the from the standpoint of Monero, there, there's a real need there potentially if there's nowhere else to easily obtain Monero other than mining it or selling goods and services for it in a world where Monero is delisted from all centralized exchanges, right? Uh, and then, in, you know, even going on, like starting to be delisted from centralized swap, swap services too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or was there the uh, Changely issue uh, two, three years ago where people would swap into Changely and that then get their Monero locked and ask for proof of KYC, uh, KYC and proof of source of income or whatever they call it, and then not give your Monero back until there was like a huge backlash? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's becoming... Uh critical for the ecosystem so yeah and as you were talking earlier as well with binance last year not you know uh giving the withdrawals back to or holding them back because uh, they were either doing fractional reserve banking or whatever it's kind of all these sort of reasons we're building basic swap is i think especially for monero we need a solution that's as private and decentralized as the core currencies on it as well because it kind of defeats the purpose at least from my perspective to crawl back to centralized infrastructure mm-hmm. especially with coins at monero like yeah, meme no. coins yeah okay it, it, it's not the same ideals behind a meme coin versus monero or even bitcoin so i really think that we should strive for more decentralized and pro-liberty solutions right to those that say well what's going to happen when monero is delisted from all centralized exchanges well here you go uh, here's here's one potential avenue uh, on ramp off ramp we'll have for Monero to other cryptos. What do you say to people? And this this really isn't your concern. You guys are just just building you know this this on ramp off ramp. But what do you say to people who are like, well, why would anybody ever want to trade their Monero for what would most likely be dirty Bitcoin? Right? If somebody's going to swap their Bitcoin using atomic swap to get Monero, is it like the guy on the other side of the trade getting getting stuck with potentially dirty Bitcoin? Obviously, potentially is, but what would you say to people who are like highly concerned about that or or argue that that makes something like this, uh, you know, a non-starter? I mean, my first my my in, my instinct response is if you're worried about dirty Bitcoin, I mean, it's a public blockchain. You know, if anyone wants to start running up public lists of blacklisted transactions, you could have a register. I mean, that's a that's a pra- that's a practical solution, not one that I personally like. I don't believe in the idea of blacklisting coins, period. But that's just the nature of Bitcoin. I mean, listen, you know, at the end of the day, whatever a person wants to do is very much up to them. And, you know, I'm the kind of guy I'm like, you take responsibility for your own actions. You've got your own motives. You've got your own reasons. I can't sit and think of like 101 reasons why anyone would want to necessarily use other coins. But let's look at the real world. There's not just one currency in use today. There's several hundred. Actually, if you really think about it, it's probably several thousand. But 
that that's the world we live in. Currencies arise for lots of different reasons. Yes, economic, but primarily, you know, so they're, they're social reasons actually predominantly, and they're tied to economic reasons, and they have sentient uh, sent sentiment value and historic value and culturally accrued value. So I'm not here to question the nature of currencies. I simply see myself as providing means for this to occur in a way that preserves privacy. You've had me on previously. You know my thoughts on privacy, which is the ultimate safeguard for freedom of expression. And I think, you know, if a person chooses to use a particular currency, that's essentially good part of their identity, part of who they are. And I can respect that, even if I don't necessarily... Even if I don't personally respect their currency choices, that's fine. Does that make sense? Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course, I just, I just wanted to give you the opportunity to, to, to state those things. Yeah, well, to add to By that, the way, I guess there's uh, solutions as well that we've been concentrating to uh, ease that or make people feel a bit more comfortable. Uh, okay. I can think of two. Uh, these are sort of ideas that, that, that we haven't started implementing and implementing but uh there was uh, i think it was uh, it was asked on our uh, announcement thread on, on the venero subreddit uh somebody mentioned that uh they thought it was blockchain.info that had a sort of utxo taint tracker back then uh, so you could paste an address into a tracker and it would give you a sort of i guess taint score that, that, on the utxos so this is Definitely something that we've considered uh, maybe implementing. We're not really sure that we want to do it. That's why I, I was asking what you guys think about such a feature. Uh, but it, an opportunity that it could create is maybe we um, sort of create a taint market out of it. So yeah. Maybe some yeah. tainted it's coins become discounted. And some people may be interested in them because they have either like a way to dispose of them or they actually don't care for any reason so they'll gladly take the discount while the other person maybe they're the one that tainted the coins but maybe the inherited or got got sent tainted coins you don't really control that doesn't mean that you hold tainted coins that you're the one that tainted them so maybe for you it's valuable to be able to just be upfront about it and say i'll give you like a two percent discount on, on the price of the bitcoin because they're tainted and the monero or you know the the other side of the swap doesn't care about it and we'll just take the discount so that could be a way that that, that we've considered again not implemented yet but and, and by the way uh, we're very curious to hear what the community thinks about this sort of feature and the uh, second way that we could help with that as well is that on basic swap you have the ability to have uh, private order books or separate order books that all lives within basic swap but um, you can basically have different. So we could see, for example, a market maker that has some you know, good reputation. They're known for having clean coins and you know, being fast when swapping, not, not causing swaps to fail in anything. So they can create their own order book, fill their own liquidity in there, and only they can do it because they own a private key to publish on that order book. And they could just, you know, like post um, either on their website or on the Monero subreddit or on basic sub community. Here's our order book. Here's the address that you need to input to sort of start tapping into our liquidity. And then they sort of give that confidence to traders that what liquidity they provide is clean and, and, and efficient. Um, that's already possible on basic swap. So um, it, it could be a solution as well where 
as opposed to having one single main order book on the decks, you, you can have multiple different order books with different providers uh, putting their own liquidity. And so that can provide a solution if, if the liquidity provider is able to prove that their coins are clean. Uh, yeah, we, well, we could have people jump up and they could give you their the response to that uh, what they Yo, what I just want to mention we, uh, I have that the demo video up so just let me know if you want me to pull that up and we can show that um, oh yeah sure you can there there's ahead. an audio though so it might be uh, uh, a nope. bit slow uh, at times okay but you can yeah you can if you want me to jump around and stuff you can just let me know uh, but okay. I like the idea that you guys were talking about of like deciding if you should implement um like uh, seeing if your coins are tainted or not. Like I, I, I could tell you probably don't want to give validity to the fact that there's coin taint, but at the same time you want to yeah. show, hey, are, do these institutions consider your coins to be tainted? I would be very interested myself to see if right. any of my other non-mineral coins have any taint. Uh, that would be interesting. Right, it'd be interesting to see how the market responds. Like you said, would, would things be priced differently? Would they, people be offering their, their quote-unquote tainted Bitcoins for, for less than than virgin bitcoins right it's a tough call right because i agree we kind of don't want to give credence to that concept of tainted coins but i think just at this bitcoin basically being a almost financial spying tool i don't think it's going away at all so it's something that we'll have to deal with regardless so um yeah i think i think putting our head in the sand with regards to that isn't going to really solve the problem which i never really understood with the bitcoin community you know the sector of the bitcoin community being against chain analysis like well it exists because it can exist because of the nature of bitcoin uh so you, you can't be mad at at you know, at capitalism, right? It's it's going to find a way. You, you uh, can't stop yeah. technology. Right. It's, it's hard to say. You just can't stop tech. Right. Exactly. And it's uh, not yeah, a monolith, neither. The, the, the coin thing, thing, I guess each tracing firm can decide their own way to determine a taint. So maybe it is that even just by using a Bitcoin coin join or kind of mixer service of like maybe just trying to obfuscate your path on Bitcoin will lead to taint just mm-hmm. because this guy try to hide the past of his transactions so suspicious all right yeah let's let's go ahead and show this it's um yeah i don't know if you want us to show parts of it and then we'll we'll get the audience up and we'll do we'll do the news with everybody on on the stage yeah i guess you can put it at like 1.5 speed and okay our questions we can take them okay uh, this video, uh, this is unlisted right now on the YouTube uh, particles YouTube, but this will be published later today for those that oh, want to. Yes, I'm not sure who you are. Yeah, though you can play it. There's no issue. Okay. Hello, everybody. Today we're going to take a look at the new bidirectional Monero atomic swap functionality reintroduced by our yeah, latest well, yeah. with a quick demo. Do you, do you want us to you turn can, this you can mute it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of fast. <laughs> you know, no, mute the sound, and he could just kind of they can kind of describe what's going on, right? Right? Is that what you want to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah. can just play it in the background, and if there are questions, we can take them or continue talking. At least we have a visual key how it looks like. Okay. Um, yeah, tell, I guess tell us about it as it plays a little bit. Uh, well, yeah. the, the, the video basically goes through the process of going uh, ahead with a bidirectional atomic swap. So in a previous video, we had a demonstration of how to make a Bitcoin to Monero atomic swap, because that's what you could do. You could just request Monero, not offer it. So uh, just did a quick demo that shows how to do an offer that actually offers Monero requesting Mm -hmm. Bitcoin. 
And actually the way it works is exactly the same. There's no extra step. It's just the, everything that's different. Like the, there's an extra step, but that's all backend stuff. So for the user's perspective, it's really not different. So you just go to uh, this page that the video is in right now and you publish an offer. Um, as you can see at the top, it says select network, public network. So that's what I was mentioning earlier that you can have different order books. So you could publish it, you know, or offer in a different order book than the public one. But for this video, it just goes to the public one. And so the, the, the process that we see right now is just the person creating an offer. They're going to publish it on the order book then somebody is going to bid on it. Um, that I guess that's a bit of a difference with traditional centralized exchanges is that um, orders, they receive bids that have to be accepted, but you can set it up that the bids is automatically accepted, but it's, it, it, it's more of a bid system than a straight up order system. Uh, also why it can maybe be compared to an OTC, kind of a hybrid between an OTC desk and a centralized traditional like order-based exchange. Um, but yeah, it's pretty straightforward. So once you receive the bid, you have to accept it or it accepts automatically. And then the swap will just uh, proceed. Really after that, there's no extra step. There's no uh, message or data that has to be manually exchanged between the two peers, which is basically what an atomic swap is. It's a multi-step process uh, without the intermediary layer that we use is SMSG network. Without the SMSG network, you would have to send data, you know, like transaction IDs and hashes and stuff manually between the two peers. That's actually how we did it when we first experimented with the uh, adapter SIG protocol, because when it came out, I think it was like three years ago, maybe four now, uh, it was all manual. So we were exchanging IDs and hashes on Element, and that was kind of chaotic. Uh, so the SMSG network does all that work automatically. So um, I would say maybe usability-wise, one of the, it's not really an issue, but it can be surprising to people is that the swap can take some time uh, to complete because it essentially relies on uh, a few transactions that will happen in the background into smart contracts. And so there's always the time constraint of the, the block times. And so it's just something to be mindful of. But when you actually compare it to even a centralized exchange, is that really longer to make a swap? If you have to like verify yourself on a centralized exchange, deposit your coin, the, the, the trade is super fast, but then you have to withdraw the funds, which will take block times as well. So it's it's comparable, I would say, but the um, where it takes time is at the swap level as opposed to um, like the account verification, deposit withdrawal process. But as we can see yeah. in this video, the swap has been initiated. So um, th the video just skips the part. Uh, exactly. It skips the part. So this swap took, well, it took uh, before, so about like 40 minutes, 45 minutes from mm. A to Z. So it's not like you're not going to do um, high frequency trading <laughs> or, you know, like a, a, a multiple fast trades a day. But as an OT uh, way of transacting, or if you just want to sell coins or buy coins for whatever reason, that, that that's perfectly fine. So yeah, that yeah. was pretty the demo, but it'll be on the Particles YouTube later today with the audio we'll described. And we have other videos as well that go a bit more into the nitty gritty details of the atomic swap process. 
Very cool. Yeah, so people can go check that out. And the, the YouTube is just it's just basic swap. What's the, the name of the YouTube channel? Uh, Particle. Okay. Particle. Particle, and we have a basic swap playlist. So okay. all of our marketplace videos are in the marketplace playlist and basic swap videos on basic swap. The paper vigilante is saying people talking too much about delisting and centralized exchange. But what about anonymous centralized exchange like trade org? Uh, yeah, no, we're not discounting those things. Um, they they exist. There are other there are other good tools that we have in our in our toolbox for ways to to get in and out of Monero. But atomic swaps is is something that's more more unstoppable than even those solutions. So and it's non custodial as well. Yes, exactly. The, the uh, issue is not just with the privacy for centralized exchanges, but also uh, what if they get hacked or you know some yeah. key holder goes rogue or as we've even seen in the past they they that happened <laughs> well, right. what if your owner is sam bankman freed <laughs> exactly um let's let's go ahead and get the audience up tux and we'll get everybody on stage anybody that wants to join and then we'll go ahead and do the news because i know we're running short on time with that yeah. Anyone who wants to join up, just say so in the uh, the private chat. If you're on the StreamYard, I'll go ahead and link the StreamYard in the chat if you want to join. And we'll see if we get some questions for you guys. You want to run the uh, viewers on stage? Yeah, let's do it. It's the viewers on stage segment. It's that time where we invite you, the viewers, up on stage to comment on anything you've heard so far today, ask the guest a question, or maybe talk about one of the news topics. Come on down. All right, come on down, guys. Um, Tux dropped the link there, the StreamYard link. Just go ahead and click on that. You don't need to sign up to anything. Click on it. It'll be thrown into the chat, and we'll bring you up on stage. Anybody down there that we can bring up? I don't know if Body wants to come up. Yeah, once again, just let me know in the private chat if you do want to come up. I don't want to bring anyone up who's not actually ready to come up or doesn't want to (laughs) surprise you. Alaska Anon. Oh, he's bringing good content. I don't know if he wants to come up. He's chilling. Mm. Anybody private, private chatting you? No, not yet. Oh, Alaska Anon is, of course, he is. Yeah, bring bring him up. Bring Alaska Anon out. Oh, okay. Hey, man, you're muted. Go ahead. Yeah, I know. My son has so many questions about Tux's logo. It's kind of hilarious. <laughs> he keeps it. Is that the penguin? That's Tux, isn't it? It's Tux. Why is it a penguin? <laughs> <laughs> that's great i did uh i will first wanted to say body was saying for the purpose of the audience we should uh probably clarify um what asker and giver or what uh like Make the, your take what, um what the requester and the sender differences and, and why it was so difficult to do uh as a requester for monero yes so I always prefer when CG answers this because it's one of those things where I always stumble. Maker is essentially where you're creating a bid. Taker is where you're taking a bid. So if I'm making a bid, that's literally like saying, okay, um, I would like to create, I'm making the bid where I'm putting my Bitcoin and I'd like to swap it for Monero. The taker on that side is kind of, the person who's essentially taking that who, who's kind of doing the other taking the other side of the trade um it, i really get confused explaining this uh crypto guide are you all right to step in yeah yeah um yeah the maker taker we use it to 
uh, kind of get some similar terminology with the centralized exchanges, but for atomic swaps, I guess exact terms, the offer and the uh, bidder or participant, uh, depending on what protocol you, you use, they use different terms, but it's basically the same. The offer is, so to make a swap, you got to make an offer first. And what we do with basic swap is we publish that offer on an order book so that you can pick it up from it. But the offer has two positions. Uh, there's the offer and the bidder participant. Uh, the offer is basically um, what coin you're willing to trade, um, what coin you want to exchange for another coin. So if I say Monero is the offer and Bitcoin is the participant, is that I'm offering Monero to get Bitcoin in exchange. And so it was uh, not possible to have Monero be the offer before because the way that the protocol works and the, um, the steps that must be taken as the offer require uh, programmable outputs from the coin that's being offered uh, because that's the side of the, the, the swap that does the heavy, let's say, scripting work. And so Monero cannot do that. Uh, that, that, that. That's a limitation of the tech, but also it's probably what makes Monero, you know, super resilient against attacks because it sort of uh, limits what uh, vectors there, there could be. Um, so this is why our solution is not, you know, changing the base protocol because you would still need programmable outputs. Uh, but we did it in a different way. Uh, basically adding a step at the mixed net or intermediary level uh, to, to, to get the other swapper to send a request, uh, to post a request instead of an offer. You, yeah, so you're, you you're, wanna... you're solving it with the messaging system that you've yeah. implemented, right? So Yeah, it, it's kind of, a, kind of a hack almost. Yeah, so the parties can communicate through the, this messaging system so the of whom's who's making the, the yeah yeah so if you want to offer Monero instead of like publishing an offer you're gonna publish an offer request and then the other person when they bid on that automatically in the background they're gonna be the ones to create the offer but from a user perspective it's it's right it feels like the Monero person has created the created the offer yeah exactly. hypothetically could you use transaction extra or encode data into outputs, even though that's um, a lot of people don't like that, but could you encode data into outputs or use transaction extra to facilitate this? I'm probably not the best one to talk about this, but I know we talked about it recently, especially when there was the whole TX extra debate with the Monero, uh, Mordenols and stuff. Uh, I think we could do it. We even played with the idea of uh, enabling uh, Mordenol trading on basic swap decks, but uh, that was more of a thought experiment. Uh, so I, I, I think that we could do it, but really uh, I'm not the, the best one to, like we would need um, one of our devs on the show more uh, pointed questions. I was hoping that the good doctor here could also, I think it would probably be right in your lane to describe the, uh, the value proposition for stabilizing the price of crypto, having a immutable, atomic swap situation like what is being proposed here hmm. i gotta think about that so are you basically saying could atomic swaps lead to reduced volatility and create a stable coin type situation is that what you're kind of getting at i, I certainly have come to the conclusion that it would um 
but I mean, what do I know? Some guy, right? <laughs> no, no, no. But actually, I'd, I'd like to hear your thought process out on that. What sort of led you down to that sort of road? Uh, on a on a different Monero talk, I had actually proposed this uh, the darknet stablecoin thesis, where um, because in a free market you have uh, like a better price discovery mechanism because there's less interference. So even though eventually you always have price discovery with the extra steps that brought into the picture from things like legislation, there it creates kind of a lag. And there's fewer market participants for a longer period of time, whereas the dark market tends to have more rapid price discovery and more consistent. But then the other thing that I was thinking about it, when you add the idea of atomic swaps um, and you bridge that gap between the clear normie market and the free market, um, you, you integrate the dark market price discovery into all of the crypto market but also having the on and off ramps to the preferred currency you also have uh like a, a greater stabilization across the entire market and the big one that i was looking at is uh you know you the reason why i thought you'd be perfect to answer it is because some of the stuff that you're saying about arbitrage where yeah. there's no high volatility high frequency trading because of the the bid ask time spread but then on the other end of things because there's such perfect well near perfect price discovery mechanisms in play you also have um you also have like a, a direct link uh, i think you get it i would love to hear what yeah you're no, no 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 i get it. so i'm going to give you some clarification i'm a doctor but actually i'm a consultant in emergency medicine so my background's healthcare but i have got a response to this um which is actually i think I think there's some validity to what you're saying. I think the current rate limiting step is the block times and the confirmation times on transactions. That's your key rate limiting step. You're right. A, a dark net market of, it, of currency exchanges will have fewer regulations and therefore fewer resistances to flow. Therefore, it should in theory operate much more efficiently than a regulated centralized market. The one thing I would say listening to that is, you're kind of on the right lines. The one problem we have, and I think it's fundamentally a technology problem, is is the confirmation time. So you're going, the, the, the limitation with basic swap is it's not ideal for high frequency trading, even though you are getting exactly what you paid for with basic swap. You are guaranteed a non-fractional trade. And this is the one thing that centralized exchanges can do which is create an artificial inefficiency through using fractional reserve type trading. And that permits higher frequency trading than perhaps the, you know, unless we get confirmation times down to near instantaneous. I think that's where you, you might have an issue with that. And that's my perspective on it. Um, but I, I do like your line of thinking there. I, I do think that within the purest free trade community, you will see more, I think you'll see more accurate price discovery. So I think there will be 
there will be faster trends towards volatility reduction, but I think that has to, what I've just said has to be considered in that. Is that, is that a fair response? Yeah. And one of the places that I thought the overlap would be, it was actually, I, I figured that because of your demeanor, you're probably a medical doctor. You have uh, well, you know what I'm saying, but one, ah, of, one of the reasons why I thought that there might be some significant overlap with what you've seen in your field is the the regulatory and government capture worldwide in a lot of first world nations and then people either migrating like talented doctors migrating to other nations or these cash only uh, medical establishments opening up all over the place uh, driving prices down and quality up meanwhile you know every politician is running on healthcare reform in most countries in the world because because of regulatory capture and because of government intrusion um and the and the the bleeding edge of doctors are all like going public with their like their disenchanted nature to how things work right now or all of these uh these leaks coming out about fraudulent research papers and it just goes to show how like Every market everywhere goes through this process the minute that there's these kinds of capture. Any thought on that? Well, with, with regards to regulations in health and healthcare and inefficiencies, or I mean, there are so many inefficiencies in healthcare. I can tell you that right now at every aspect. For me, my biggest bugbear is if we go slightly off topic, it can be you know, leave it to Alaska things. Anon to, to just bring it, bring it all together. And <laughs> think of the mind of Alaska Anon. Just... What I will say is there is inconsistent regulatory frameworks globally. And if we keep it very contained, I think there are very large arbitrage opportunities, not just within healthcare, within pharmaceuticals, within recruitment, within procurement, uh, within deployment of infrastructure. Uh, and you, you're right, we, we live in a very, I have a dream society in my head, which is fundamentally more efficient than the society that I see. Uh, and it creates a lot of frustration. Actually, it's partly why I am an advisor to the particle project is because they have the particle marketplace. And I see free trade in goods as being, you know, I, I see the integration of DEXs into P2P KYC free uh, e-commerce setups that are truly decentralized and privacy focused. I see that as the future of economies. And I see that then leading to the future of decentralized governance. Um, so I, I think we've got stages to go through um it's a big topic i could go on about this. yeah so, I, I, I gotta cut in last game i gotta cut in here only because we gotta do yeah, news, do news I, want, right. I want everybody to stick around and we'll do the news and we can continue talking about all these topics and whatever else the news leads to uh but yeah that's 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 where we're headed guys uh building out the monero circular economy it's going to solve all types of things uh tux you want to go ahead and, and run the news segment yeah, let's go ahead and do it. Starting and to guys, please, spicy please conversation. Stick around, yeah. And now for our weekly news segment. We got to get Tony before we lose him. I know he's limited on time. Hey, Tony. You're muted. You are muted, yep. Okay. Hey. Hi, hey guys. Good, you? Good, good, good. Yeah, I guess uh, go ahead and run through things and... Well, maybe we uh, we could we could give our comments at the end as as opposed to commenting as you go. Yeah, yeah. So let's do that. Um, just do this. 
Okay, so um, the first thing is, are Bitcoiners okay? Um, so there's a post from Luke, um, which said the freedom only comes from bringing down the state. At this stage today in 2023, Bitcoin is the best chance we have to separate money from state. Eight years ago, XMR had a higher probability to do so, but network effect, adoption, and game theory have shifted the probabilities much for Bitcoin's favor, he says. Then the next tweet. <laughs> are, you, are you showing screen? I'm not seeing your screen. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, try Oh, there we go. There we go. Sweet. There we okay, go. That's good. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what you're talking about. Yeah, this guy. Yes. Uh, oh yeah. So he's, now... like, he's like the ult, ultimate Monero Maxi, and now yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Explain what happened here this week. So uh, he talked about Bitcoin, and then he tweeted, "Please help. Shiva Wallet just stole a thousand dollars from my girlfriend. Today they canceled a thousand dollar transaction." For no reason and won't return the funds. Anyone in El Salvador able to help? Then the next one, uh, the next tweet, he says, glad to update everyone that this issue has been resolved and funds have been unfrozen. The funds were reportedly frozen due to AML regulations and saying that Chivo is still doing a great job in El Salvador. Um, and then below, Untraceable said that apparently this happens quite often in El Salvador and uh, Bitcoin Beach. Um, uh, posted this week, a local carpenter we know had his wallet frozen for $1,000 transactions. They asked him to prove the origin of funds. And so it's not it's not the first time that it happens. And um, it's not it's not a good thing at all um, for your Yeah, I think it's just kind of exposing the hypocrisy. Like these guys are like literally one moment talking about how, you know, uh, Bitcoin is is liberating the world and how great it is to see the adoption in El Salvador. And then a moment later, talking about how Chivo Wallet is basically taking people's funds, right? Um, or not allowing people to transact. So there's just like a lot of hypocrisy there, a lot of confusion. They don't seem to really... Uh, I'm, just, I'm just hearing double speak, right? And so, look, look at the top part, it says... <laughs> is the best chance we have to separate the money from the state. And then you go down, funds were reportedly frozen due right. to AML yeah, regulations. That that's, that's so funny. And then, and then the conclusion, I'm, I'm not, I'm in saying that Chivo is still doing a great job in El Salvador. It's like, As long as you build CBDC on Bitcoin lightning rails, it's totally fine, guys. Yeah. Totally we, we've, had, we've had this guy jump in uh monero spaces before he's of the of the character and I, I'm, I'm not trying to you know be a jerk to him but he's he's of the character that bitcoin is fungible right bitcoin is private and it's it just it's doesn't fungible but it was frozen because of aml regulations yeah. like yes. uh, what <laughs> so that, that that was interesting to watch this week for a form of money that should give you freedom freedom you should be able to do whatever you want and not have your money frozen it's just essentially like a cbdc essentially in some yeah we, we shouldn't be promoting the adoption of chivo wallet which is really at the end of the day no different than a, pay, a paypal or perhaps even worse right i had kind Which of a long thread um sorry to interrupt i had kind of a long oh, thread with um kind of a maxi bro and he pointed out that Chivo might not necessarily be exactly synonymous with a wallet. He said it's more like a payment app. Um, I think at the end of the conversation, he he did kind of move me a little bit um, to the to the position that Chivo is kind of like an it's a payment app, but it's also a Lightning wallet that you operate on behalf of the government. Because when you send funds into Chivo, it's actually the government holding those funds. So all the people in El Salvador that receive quote unquote Lightning funds. 
they're actually like operating a lightning wallet on behalf of the El Salvadorian government to receive those funds on their behalf. And they can only access them uh, with the permission of El Salvador. So it's kind of like this like weird, unholy hybrid. Uh, anyways, that, that was, <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe. Oh, right. Isn't that bad? There's, I don't see any good in that though. What, like how, how is that a step <laughs> forward? Exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, keep going. Then let's talk about uh, Bitcoin Twitter, um, since we discussed Bitcoin a little bit. So Bitcoin Twitter raging as Bitcoin wallet six Monero-based privacy boost. Uh, this is interesting. So Samurai Wallet is going to implement Bitcoin to Monero atomic swaps. And there's been people from the um, Laser Eye community that uh, have tweeted, such as Plate Licking Pleb, are we canceling Samurai for this? Or, and Samurai tweeted, gatekeep all you want, we'll bulldoze right through um, you like with We've unapologetically done since day one. Cross-chain atomic swaps between Bitcoin and XMR are here. We've been hard at work to make it a reality. Wipe the tears from your delicately <laughs> laser eyes. Um, then they also tweeted that when we first announced that we were working on this important technology, the bumbling influencer idiots with their gaggle of acolytes all together with an IQ of 47 responded exactly as you would expect. You can read about it on and our response here. No one influences our roadmap but us. No one will bully us into submission. You're either along for the ride or you aren't. If you want off the ride, you better jump because we're not slowing down for you. It's as simple as that. Um, so that's that's interesting. Of course, it's not the whole Bitcoin community that went on, on Samurai. Um, but the response is interesting. And it's good that when they have a vision, that they keep going with it. That they don't stop for certain people. So it's uh, Samurai is based. They're grounded in reality. Yeah, right. so... So the typical laser-eyed uh, Bitcoin user is for something like a Chivo wallet that is allowing the El Salvadoran government to essentially censor transactions, but they're against something like Samurai wallet because it's implemented Monero atomic swaps. So it's the hypocrisy. Just This reminds me of how they treat Seth for privacy too. It, you know, like a guy who's just actively like helping the bitcoin community in so many ways and they're just always like always just on his ass yeah so yeah so monero is gonna be on um on the samurai wallet for atomic swaps uh then let's discuss paypal because we talked about it a little bit before um so paypal is going to unveil a new stable coin called paypal usd it's designed for payments and is backed by highly liquid and secure assets Starting today and rolling out in the next few weeks, you'll be able to buy, sell, hold, and transfer PYUSD. Then we have a post from Bitcoin Culture. PayPal has been known to randomly freeze accounts and hold people's money hostage. It's all over the internet. We know this. We talked in previous episodes. Their newly launched PayPal USD stablecoin features a built-in asset protection function, which can erase your balance in two transactions. One, freeze, or two, wipe frozen address. In smart contract security, it's called a centralization attack vector. Yeah, it might be adoption, but it ain't Bitcoin. Now your key is not your crypto. And uh, I'm still not sure why people are still using PayPal because I'm not sure if they still uh, have this implemented. But um, if you say something that is against their policy, they can subtract, I think, $2,300 from your account. And this is per uh, thing that you might have done. So if you said two things or two actions that are against the policy, that's, you know, $4,600 essentially. Um, so that's that's interesting. I'm not going to talk about this too much, but FTX Sam Bankman Fried is going to jail, um, which is going to be on October 2nd. And finally, um, then we have a big announcement. So we have Kickwald on F Droid. 
and um, oops, one second. Chila tweeted, I just want to say that Graphene OS has done such an amazing job at creating a user-friendly mobile OS that all my normie friends enjoy it. In my honest opinion, Privacy Tech officially arrived and now having Cake and another user-friendly app in Android is going to make a huge difference. Uh, so that's really good news as well. Awesome. I can now um, download Cake on my D-Google phone. Yeah. Right. But I'm not sure. Someone made this table. Is this for you, dog? Or it's yes. really cool? Yes. Oh, that's really cool. That's so awesome. Yeah, the other side's even cooler. Uh, he was only showing the bottom. But he, I, I met him at MoneroCon, and he's handcrafting this for me. He lives in, I guess I don't want to give away his exact location, but somewhere in Eastern Europe, and he'll be shipping me this table. Oh, wow. So for the people watching on Twitter, it's a table, but the legs are in <laughs> painted in black, and they have the M. From the yeah, the, the other side is beautiful. He's, he did a really good job. That's really cool. That's that's really nice. All right now it's well narrow, but when you turn it to the right side, it'll... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Then we have the Monero ATM project. So this is a do-it-yourself automated teller machine that runs free software, and we actually had uh, an interview with them. Uh, but essentially, they teach you how to make a Monero ATM project, which is really really cool. So uh, I saw this on Reddit. I know we talked about this in the past, and we also have an interview on that. But uh, if you go on atm.monero.is. Uh, then you can see it for yourself and build your own Monero ATM. Yeah, this is this is very cool. I I, I love their their little Monero ATM box. But <laughs> I, I, until you run out of Monero, because that's what always happens. <laughs> well, what what yeah? What, what's well? What's cool about this is the way they're doing it. Is it's um, the the price of Monero will 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 change based on how much cash is at hand in the box in the ATM. That's really interesting. And that's yeah, that's what we did up here, but the problem is no matter how high the price of Monero goes, you always run out. <laughs> it's, it, it, I mean, you can get double. It doesn't matter. They still just, you're out of Monero every time. That's why we stopped building. We were going to build one of these, remember, Doug? But we just don't even bother because we can never even keep enough Monero on hand. That is crazy. Um, if you want to build it, it costs between 200 to 400 euros. So it's not that expensive to build also. Very cool. I didn't even know about this website. This is awesome. Yeah. Super awesome. It's really yeah. cool. Uh, then quick mention, Chicago Monero Meetup by Cake Wallet is going to be on November 2nd between 7 and 10 p.m. So if you are in the area, make sure that you go and meet up with Cake Wallet in Chicago, downtown. Yeah, it should be very cool. I'm going to try to make it over to that. I don't know if I will be able to, but we'll try. Oh, that'll be nice. Yeah. And uh, the last thing, the last three articles that we have are on CBDCs. So last week we had the Digital Rubble um, official logo. I don't think we have, I think the name is just Digital Rubble, but we have the Brazilian CBDC uh, name and logo, and it's going to be named the Drex. So now you might be thinking, what does the Drex stand for? Uh, DNR allude to real digital, uh, real digital. DE stands for electronic, and the X conveys the idea of modernity and connection the use of distributed ledger technology. Uh, this is the logo, Drex, and then we have two pointing arrows uh, to the right side. One is blue as the whole uh, logo, and one is green, signaling um, the transaction completed. The message. It's made by Banco Central do Brasil. So CBDCs, again, are coming. We are now getting official names, official logos. We have in Brazil, we have it in, in uh, Russia as well. So for the people that still Thing that they're not coming there you have it um then let's actually talk about let's talk about this first uh japanese startup to use stable coins and cbdc to link asian countries 
Suramitsu is developing a cross-border payment system that uses Cambodia's CBDC and targets um, Japan, India, China, and Southeast Asia. So it's a lot of countries in, in Asia. But uh, so the Japanese blockchain startup Suramitsu is exploring new central bank digital currency applications uh, with a new project on the cross-border payment system for Asian uh, countries. Suramitsu will deploy Cambodia's CBDC and fiat pegged stablecoins as part of its new payment system targeting countries like India, China, and Japan, and regions like Southeast um, Asia. Uh, then they say, generally, this project is for regulated stablecoins in Japan and other countries, as well as uh, central bank digital currencies. And they also mentioned that, for example, if a Thai user wants to purchase something from a Japanese e-commerce site, the report noted the payment will be sent as a dollar-denominated Bakong and converted to yen to a yen-denominated stablecoin. So... CBDCs are coming in fruition in Brazil. So in South America, they're coming in fruition in Eastern Europe with Russia and all over uh, all over uh, Asia as well. So um, yeah, and then we have um, Canada. So Bank of Canada ran, I think, like a report, and they said that Canadians have weak incentives to use a CBDC, essentially because they have little trouble accessing financial services. Most of them um, have a bank account; they don't struggle. They don't want to go to something else. Uh, there are not as many unbanked people as in other countries. So the report said that 98% of Canadian adults have a bank account, 87% also have a credit card, and 90% of rural and urban households combined can access highly high quality internet. Um, then they also mentioned that, however, it found that replacing cash with digital loonies would also mean tech-averse Canadians would have fewer payment options, while cash-dependent Canadians would find themselves unable to make the most uh, common uh, payments. The potentially low uptake of a CBDC would also lead to merchants unlikely to want to accept one, which would further diminish its usefulness. Our latest survey uh, from Bank of Canada results shown that 92% of merchants have no plans to go cashless, and they also say that cash is still king. So um, now this might mean that Canada won't have a CBDC, just like in the US, they're saying that we may have a CBDC or not. They're just doing research. But if Russia has its CBDC, Brazil has its own CBDC, China and all these countries in Asia, and countries are competitive. They want to stay on top of, of um, every single sector. Canada eventually is going to have a CBDC. They're going to make it, um, they're going to incentivize people to hop on the Canadian uh, CBDC. Same in the US and same all over the, the world. So eventually... Yeah, we're going to have CBDCs all over the place and uh, it's going to be an interesting world by then. And also, I think, let me see if I can find, um, there was the, um, one second. There was a video of Joe Rogan and I don't know why I don't have it up here, but it's Joe Rogan and uh, Post Malone. Oh yeah, I saw this. That one is really good as well. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, I thought that I had it up here. No, maybe if I can look it up. Let's do Rogan and... And post loan CBDC. And this is the last thing that I want to mention. I think it was a Twitter link. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, this this one. Can you guys hear it? No. Yeah? No, no sound. Oh, no. Yeah, oh, no. Okay. Um, You'll send a link to me? Yeah. All right. Uh, anybody, anybody got any other input into this week's news? Mm, I see a lot of people in the chat talking about the. El Salvador Chivo thing. Yeah, I I wonder if he would have had the swift resolution that he got if he wasn't in the public eye was the first thing that came to mind. 
And then you're talking about a country full of unbanked people that are trying to use crypto for its privacy advantages, all being on a government wallet. Like the whole thing, that there is no way that it hasn't occurred to these people how absolutely ridiculous the system actually is. Andrea says, the good aspect of El Salvador BTC adoption is just having a country using a unit of account that doesn't depend on the local government. I don't think El Salvador had its own currency. I think it was always dependent on the U.S. dollar. Right, it's dependent on the dollar. Yeah, for like 30 years, I think, at least. Mm, all right. Yeah, play play that video if okay. you can. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, well, I don't know. You did there. Um, digital currency that they're working No on. fucking way. No way. That's what I think. I think that's checkmate. That's game over. That is fucking checkmate. Because if they apply that to a social credit score, if they decide somehow or another that you need some social credit score system and it's for the benefit of society and they outline that they can, you know, track your behavior and your tweets and all your things and you get a, a score. And if you're doing that, they, they just haven't released the fucking report cards. Well, they, they don't haven't have the kind they of freedom sent the they re- like. They didn't send the report cards home to the parents yet. Right. Yeah. So Joe Rogan's asking about CBDCs. Pretty cool, though. Mainstream, mainstream is, is they're on it. People are hearing it. I'm sure they'll give him a big pile of money and his opinion will just suddenly change. I don't know. Where we'll <laughs> Is Joe Rogan? Rogan a gold bug? Like he doesn't want to have any crypto people on his podcast because he doesn't want to admit he's a gold bug because of the digital surveillance. You think that's what's going on? Yeah, I see I see all the Bitcoiners complaining. Like, why isn't he talking about Bitcoin? Because like, let him talk about whatever he wants. No, but it's, it's, I don't know. It's... He has talked about Bitcoin. He's had, he's had Andreas. He had Andreas Antonopoulos on like years ago. Um, I don't know. I Next mean, step, Monero. Right. Why is no Joe Rogan? Like, just got to contact like a family member or something. I wanted to throw in, I don't know how many people, but during the, the PayPal part of the news segment there. Um, it, so recently, Tesla had their DRM, their digital rights management, violated by somebody finding a hack to a different DRM for the AMD management engines, which is basically like the the final boss, the black box of technology (laughs) right now. Is it and somebody found a workaround through the met the DRM at the AMD processor level to get around the DRM for Tesla's. So you can unlock the speed boost, you can unlock the battery, you can unlock like the heated seats and all the other stuff that you have to pay a subscription for. And so somebody in absolute super giga chad mode just like wiped the floor with all of these proprietary garbage stuff by using them against each other. And with PayPal, it's the same thing where like all of your payment systems and all of your money is like behind walls upon walls of, and they were supposed to like get people into the world of the unbanked over to the world of the banked. And now like they, they've like hijacked the banking system the same way that somebody used AMD to hijack the Teslas. It's like the whole situation is. Such well, so a they, they literally art. jailbroke a Tesla using um, there's a bug in uh, or an exploit in because uh, this is a custom made AMD chip for Tesla that has its own some of its own components. Uh, but they were able to jailbreak it basically to enable all those paywalled features <laughs> that normally cost an exorbitant amount. You know, the car is already expensive and you got to pay extra for all this extra stuff. Basically, they were able to jailbreak it just like you could jailbreak an iPhone. You know, they did that to their Tesla, uh, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> it's pretty cool. My understanding is that they 
they can't stop it. Like it's a hardware problem. So there's no update oh, yeah. that they yep. can make to prevent it. Yeah. And you some of these things have access that. to the device and you need the keys in order to fix the hack. So it, oh, you, you would have to recall every Tesla. You'd have to change all of the components. Then you'd have to like work through all of the new bugs that come out of having a different computer for everything. It, you basically have to buy a new Tesla if you were a Tesla in order to fix the problem. That means features that require microtransactions like the heated steering wheel for your heated steering wheel, footwell mm -hmm. lights, or even $2,000 acceleration boost could be turned off for free or turned on for free via the hack. So imagine having to pay extra money just to get all the horsepower of your car, right? So that's ridiculous. And so these people just went out of the way and are like, nope, we're not paying for that. It's already there. The hardware's there. They've just locked us out via this stupid software. Uh, so they, they went around that. Yeah. It, really... just... Go ahead, Doug. Sorry. I was just going to say, it just shows you, you know, what they potentially can do too, right? When governments want to start punishing people in certain ways, uh, if they have complete control of your car, right? So it's not just paying a little extra money for a heated seat but it's maybe like you're not allowed to essentially drive to certain places or you know get on certain roads restricting your where, where you can go uh pretty scary but they pretty, actually wasn't it only in like jailbreak. i think it was in like 2014 darpa got caught killing a journalist by hijacking his car i can't even remember who it was now but he was a uh he was like one of the last good reporters for rolling stone and he was in the middle of like this big drug deal contract between some general and a whole bunch of uh, cartels. And he was like, un he was unraveling all of this human trafficking stuff. And then his car just decided to go 130 miles an hour into a tree. So <laughs> the, the reason why this is irreversible. Oh, sorry, buddy. Oh, no, I just said the, the accelerator got stuck. Go ahead. The reason why it's irreversible is actually a little bit scary. Um, if you if you think about it, it's because uh, it, they're not attacking. Like Alaskanon said, they're attacking part of the AMD processor, not like any of the Tesla software itself. Uh, and that's why it's irreversible because it's a bug with the platform security processor or the PSP that exists on AMD processors. And this PSP is a, a dedicated ARM chip that has control over the rest of the processor itself. It's the one that is the first part to boot when you turn on the computer. And it has a bunch of security features that it can do like it provides virtualization services um it provides uh, like uh, a lot of encryption stuff and they were able to attack that uh for the tesla in order to jailbreak that but if you think about it this could also be used potentially in malicious ways especially considering the fact that the car is constantly connected to the internet uh and so is is that like TPM for AMD or is it? A little yeah. Bit more so the PSP has that? an FTPM built in. So it kind of includes that, uh, but it does a lot more than just provides a TPM. Uh, similar to, I'm sure a lot of people have heard about the Intel ME or the Intel management engine. It's very similar to that. Um, but those, those little components, while they provide a lot of features, uh, they also, they, they can be exploited, um, especially considering the fact that they, they have their own network stack. Uh, and so they can use network by themselves without the computer even being on. Uh, so something to think about. These, these new cars definitely. Don't, don't forget cool, they but... can turn the computer on. They can turn the microphone and camera on and they can make it appear as though it's off the entire time, too. Well, the scope of access depends on the exact implementation. Like I think Intel's is probably uh, a bit more dangerous than AMD's. Uh, but they're both. Uh, and they're both black boxes too. That's the biggest concern is that, yeah, you've got these little chips here that are doing a lot of things that, you know, in terms of security, if you look at how they work, uh, can be very good, but they're black boxes. 
uh, it's they run their own proprietary version of like Linux or Minix or whatever. So and, let's keep in mind the same oligarchy behind PayPal that is taking over the banking institution at like the individual layer. And they also have people getting into a greater and greater number of cars with all of these hackable issues. On top of that, we just had a story the other day about Amazon locking people out of their own house because they said like unapproved words. And so like you have a company that has constant live feed through your phone, through your car, through your house, through your banking apps to everything that you're doing. And on top of that, they can lock you out of your car or steer it or control it. They always know your location. And then on top of that, they can freeze your bank accounts. And it's, it's, I mean, anyone who is thinking of like, oh, you know, Tesla is, you know, if you think Elon Musk is like the good guy and he's like, you know, hashtag our guy or whatever, it's like, it doesn't even matter if he was like an absolute saint, what he's building, like it would only take one sophisticated hacker to not just ruin your life, but end your life. And they might even get away with it without anyone ever knowing that they even did it. If you did it in such a plausible way as to like drive off a bridge under, you know, on an icy road, all they'd have to do is be patient and they could get away with just murky. Well, I guess you guys aware that uh, it's crazy. Sorry, go ahead, buddy. No, you go ahead. In San Francisco and a few other California cities, they are releasing driverless cars now, like driverless taxi service. I think it's Cruise and Waymo are the companies that are approved. Um, I, there's an opportunity here to dunk on Tesla and be like, well, you didn't get approved. And where's your license to operate driverless cars? But um, everything that Alaska just said is is extremely poignant. Like they can murder journalists. They can murder anyone you want to. And oh, by the way, black hat hackers can get into your car. Um, if they didn't quite perfectly uh, prevent anyone from accessing the TPM or whatever hardware, whatever software implementation into that. And into that even system. someone like me who drives a car older than me, no matter what car it is, and like uses a graphene phone, if I turn my cellular network service on, somebody could triangulate my location because of a public phone number that I have to use for certain work environment. And they could just like drive a Tesla into me, whether or not I've secured all of my devices. And at some point people have to think about like, I mean, lucky for me, I'm usually in a semi if I'm working, but like the, the thing is, is you're everybody allowing this to happen is putting themselves, whether or not their, their, their security model is absolutely amazing. Or think about like, you know, I mean, my mom doesn't have the same kind of security situation that I do. Right. I mean, somebody could just drive a car through her front porch and like, like and all of this is going to become a lot bigger of a deal when you have like nation states fighting with each other. Because even if you can't necessarily get at the general, you can get at his nephew. Or even if you can't necessarily like freeze somebody's bank account, you can do damage to the infrastructure that that person uses to buy their food or that, that like the vulnerabilities being introduced with this kind of stuff is so unbelievably massive compared to anything that we've ever had in history. And I'm not really an alarmist. I'm a pretty optimistic guy, but it's absolutely ridiculous. The short sightedness of having all of this DRM and all of these back doors and all of these driverless cars 
like the infrastructure is doomed as soon as like a hot war starts raging between all of these different corporate factions and you know corporate espionage oh yeah i mean fake news (laughs) breaking fake news Uh, a hack tesla drives into uh the president's uh (laughs) vehicle right like like you, you could you could do anything in the office. Think of the sensors on the Teslas too. You could use somebody else's car to spy on their neighbors twenty four seven. I mean, honestly, the exploits, like yeah, like you know, there's a lot of concern with like the hardware and you know hackers and stuff. But honestly, that's probably the least of our concerns with something like a Tesla, where it's. You know, you, you know that the government already has ways to get control of that vehicle if they want to. They don't even need to use these crazy back doors. And even if it like was, let's say it was like Tesla was like all using open source firmware, software, everything. It was all free. Why would you want all of that in your car? Right. Why would you want to get put at, put yourself in that position where, you know, somebody remotely potentially could take over your car? It's like, why why do we need to have like your freaking fridge why does your fridge need an entire android tablet built into it right it's like so use use a 20 year old car instead that doesn't have any of these stupid fears <laughs> like a last one think they about let me drive more. 120 miles an hour so i'll never use <laughs> one of their cars <laughs> one of the things that like so spacex gets what it's like 99 percent of their money from the defense department for like government satellite launches and stuff and then on top of that Almost all of the money Tesla actually ever made is real profit instead of artificial inflation of their stock prices and so on came from government grants and ESG programs and special bank insider deals like all of the people who are building out that system. And it's not just Tesla. They are so tied to government finance. You already know. I mean, if Intel has publicly stated, yeah, of course the NSA has backdoors to the Intel management engine. And of course, how could we be in business without giving them the keys to everybody's computer? Like how many, how many, many orders of magnitude worse would a, a moving sensor box with all of your personal data, how much worse would that be? It's it's absolutely ridiculous that people are getting behind these motions. Have you guys ever heard of the story called Unauthorized Bread? No. It's like this, um, this dystopian fiction about the future where uh, it's like an immigrant to the United States. Uh, she acquires this apartment eventually. And all of her appliances require that you only use and you only purchase items from their corresponding, um, like corporate representatives. So, for example, uh, they call it unauthorized bread. She has this toaster, and the company only allows you to purchase and use inside of this toaster uh, the bread which was authorized by their uh, representative dealers. And one day this company goes bankrupt. And so nobody that owns this toaster can actually cook their food. So she, uh, she goes through like this whole process where she learns how to jailbreak her toaster. She gets on the dark web uh, that she's like peripherally heard of. And so she, she jailbreaks her toaster. And then once she figures out how to do it and she's using, she's using her toaster, she shows all of her neighbors how to do it. But eventually the company gets purchased by some other, you know, some other mega corporation and the intellectual property surrounding that toaster enables them to be able to, to detect who has actually jailbroken their toaster. And in, in the real world here right now, 
uh, it was 1998, there was some kind of law that was passed that it makes it a crime, like a literal crime, not just like, uh, you know, oh, you committed financial crimes, we're going to sue you and take your money from your bank account. No, you'll go to jail. Uh, you can literally go to jail for attempting to do anything which controverts DM, uh, DRM, like digital rights management, implementation on a microprocessor. So for example, you have some kind of chip, uh, that chip does some kind of encryption work to prevent anyone from viewing a video or, um, or copying a song, etc. If you do anything whatsoever to use your own microprocessor to get around that whole system that they've implemented, it's literally a crime that they will send that well, they will, they can, they have sent people to jail for, for getting around like the, the protections that were implemented to protect them, the mega, like, I don't know, the, the, the media corporations, the mega corporations that own all of this quote unquote intellectual property. So this person writes this entire story. It's beautiful. I, I really recommend unauthorized bread. Look that up and you can find the story cool. um, or CRX.be, excuse me for recommending Google. Go ahead. Sorry. No, good, good stuff. We'll check it out. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of like this um, this fiction story about sort of this dystopian future where this um, her her toaster, the, the corporation that owns it, suddenly goes offline and she no longer has access to her toaster. She helps her entire apartment building hack the toaster. But then when the corporation gets bought out by someone else, they're like, well, you violated our intellectual property. But you were so smart. We want to, like, work with you, right? Like, that's so that, that was so brilliant. Uh, we want to highlight you. And uh, also, we're going to give you a bunch of money. And we're going to like, now we're going to sell the unlock access that you can toast bread. That's not just like the, the, the corporate bread. You can, you can toast another person's bread, even the bread that you cooked in your own stove. You just have to pay us a little bit and you can unlock that feature inside your toaster. So the idea of this article was that all of our devices are embedded with some kind of microprocessor, which is really a general compute platform, even if it's very like very low uh, ability to compute, right? Like the, the, the problem is that any general compute platform, whether it's a microprocessor or fucking Ethereum, um, can compute any program that you give it. And so the, the whole point of this article was that, listen, you can't, like, you, you can't regulate, you can't stop the way that people are going to use their devices. Um, so this intellectual property law is kind of like monopolistic in a sense. It's kind of, it limits our ability to actually uh, interact with each other, to actually use our devices. It, it, it converts our devices, our ownership of devices into our devices owning us and, our, and the corporations which manufactured them into control over us. Um, and it's, it's crazy. Like you think, okay, that's dystopian future. But the more that I look around, the more that I see these devices, the more that I, I, I want to buy things bought off of Craigslist. I want to buy things manufactured in the nineties. You know, I, I don't want any of that crap. You know, I mean, thing. go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying, cause when you were saying that it's kind of making me think of the idea of a data network as being a state. So I think of like micro nations and, you know, it's like, you know, this person's toaster was essentially connected to the broader internet. But in reality, that there's possibly an alternative universe she could have lived in where she could have had a local network that was completely disconnected from the broader internet. And that could have been like her micro state, her micro nation of appliances, which she's then, you know, jailbreaking, doing, taking genuine ownership of. 
And I think, you know, kind of thinking about this, it's about people's interaction with the internet as a whole, because that's what this comes down to is global communication. Um, you know, so I'm almost losing my point because I'm a bit tired right now, but that, that's essentially what I'm getting at is, um, you know, even when you guys were talking about the Teslas and things, I was just, I've, I've got a lot of scattered thoughts here, but it, it all comes down to, you know, that, that idea of self-sovereignty, what it is, how you define it and how you set this up. And one of the other things is one of the underlying themes here that really stood out for me is that a lot of these technologies, they're either creating artificial convenience, essentially profit via an artificial barrier, proprietary barrier, or it's a case of a lot of modern technology gives us convenience, but a lot of the end users of those technologies don't really understand how they work. And I think that's actually relevant going back to that discussion about CBDCs with El Salvador and, and Bitcoin, um, you know, the, the Chiva wallet, all these people are being told a narrative about it being a privacy wallet or this is good for your privacy, but they're not actually being told who hosts the wallet, how the wallet works. No one's been giving an education. They're just kind of taking it on trust. This thing works. It's giving some level of convenience. We've been asked to use it. Uh, and that's a huge thing. It's education and convenience and the gap between them. In the UK at the moment, just for the setting, uh, our, our, our politicians are trying to pass through and probably will pass through something called the online safety bill. And there is currently a provision in that which basically forces and mandates all companies to have a backdoor in end-to-end in -end encryption schema. Yeah. So that will pass. The UK will not have any secure information networks. I literally wrote a letter to the email at the House of Lords saying, look, you pass this, no serious R&D firm is going to set foot in the UK or interact with the UK. The huge implications on an enterprise and global level, but on an enterprise level for the UK, that's huge. You know, the UK itself, their own government uses WhatsApp and WhatsApp's threatened to pull out. But this is the thing. The only reason a law like that could get so far and pretty much be on the verge of passing is because there is a huge disconnect between the technology, the convenience it provides and the ubiquitousness, the, the widespreadness of its use and the simple understanding of how it works. And people just don't get this. There's, we failed to bridge that gap. We have, as a, as a broader society, have failed in that yeah. sense. That's so depressing to say. But it, yeah. it feels like the solution really is, you know, we talk about this all the time, is ignoring the sheep and building out our, our own alternative, you know, ecosystem. That's that's the only way, right? It's not, it's not necessarily about um, educating the masses, but it's about building out our, our own way of living that's outside of this this current system. It's the only it's the only way we're gonna succeed. It's becoming it's becoming you know it, it it's no longer uh, hypothetical. It's 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 becoming real, right? That there's going to be this superficial version of society where you know ninety eight percent percent of society is going to be a part of this super technocratic whatever it is, and then there's going to be you know the the underbelly, uh, which where where the re real freedom will be, and so we gotta build it in a way where it, it can't be co-opted by that technocratic uh, larger larger society. It's got to be resilient to that and allow the the true freedom lovers to prevail. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it, it just feels like that. That's where we're at. Is that too extreme, guys? What do you think? No, I think it fits in with the matrix. We are. 
as a broader society, I think we're building the matrix, like the literal machine matrix, you know, going to the films. And, and I think we're going to see that divergence of it, it's ironic that we're all sat here. We're all highly educated in matters of technology. And yet to, you know, a casual observer, the way we talk about how we want to distance ourselves from these seemingly you know, ultra modern techs, you know, like, te you know, the test, all the various innovations. It, it see, I can see, oh, that guy's a Luddite. He doesn't want anything to do with technology. And that's not the thing. We understand how it works. So we understand the risks as well as the benefits. And that's, that takes maturity. But you're right. I do see us evolving towards a future of many, many micro nations. And it goes back down to the definition of what a state is, which is a local area network <laughs> this is a local information network so I, i'm with you on that one yeah, yeah. And I, I think there'll be many many smaller things right like like the monero ecosystem will essentially become its own nation quote unquote but the the largest nation will be the the mainstreamers the sheep that are that are most controlled these these people have been getting caught up in their own nightmares over and over again too I mean that's the truth. Like, and and one of the uh, one of the points that a lot of people that have come on Monero talk have actually made is, of course they're not going to shut Monero down completely because they need a place to get out of their evil system and park their ill-gotten gains, you know. But then you can go a step beyond that, which is, like, every day I see so many people pointing out, like, I feel like my phone is spying on me or whatever, and the the so we have. Amazon employees leaking like all kinds of gory footage from Amazon home security cameras. Like, so you can go onto these like websites that aggregate like horrible events being caught on camera. And then Tesla videos having the same thing happen to them where they end up on these websites. And then UPS drivers, part of their union contract was that people were stealing their driver footage and like putting accidents of employees all over the internet. Uh, it, it, so it's the number of people that have been not just kind of sort of caught, but dozens and dozens of employees just having access to all of the footage of everything that's going on, you know, it's, or another one was uh, somebody sued because the changes in their weight had been sold by the car manufacturer to their health insurance. And yeah, so it's, so their health insurance rates went up and they noticed that their health rates insurance went up and they happened to be privy to how that decision was made. So then they sued and found out in the fine print that actually, I don't even remember what you want it was, but all of the car companies have permission to sell your biometric data to health insurance companies. And it is affecting the rates that you're being given. And so that was the awkward moment when they realized that every single one of these car manufacturers already has the legal authority to sell this. I'm pretty sure that my use of chat GPT requires my biometric data be sacrificed to the gods. World coin, baby. All right, uh, guys, we got, we covered a lot today. This is amazing, as always. Thank you, everybody. We always do, don't we? <laughs> uh, basic swap team, thank you for joining us today greatly appreciate it very excited about what you guys are working on and have achieved already recommend to anybody that's in the monero community to go check it out give it a try where, where do they go you want you want to give some some direction of where people can go to start start using the bitcoin basic swap decks. yeah basic swap 
so you can go straight to that website. Uh, and if you just search for particle, which is P-A-R-T-I-C-L, so no E on the end, you'll kind of link into our broader ecosystem as well. Any other info you want to put out there before we shut it down? Uh, CG, you got anything for us? Well, thanks for the invitation. First thing first, very, very cool um, episode. Uh, just saying there's a question in the YouTube chat right now about uh, the rates. Are they competitive? Uh, at this point, we have not the greatest liquidity. So uh, if there's anybody in the Monero community interested in providing, providing liquidity at 0%, uh, it is our strong belief that as liquidity increases with a 0% exchange, it's very appealing to market makers. And we're just on a journey to make the platform as as accessible as centralized exchanges. So hopefully with liquidity and accessibility, at some point, we'll have a actually viable alternative to centralized exchanges. And so this is uh, this is what we're trying to build. But it's, uh, well, straight out replacing. it's a journey. Yeah. <laughs> You guys have achieved a lot. You're not just talking about it. It exists and it's working. Uh, thanks again, everybody. Body, thank you as always. Alaska Anon, greatly appreciate your particip- participation. Always Tuxedo, thanks for running the show, man. Of course. Yep. Thank thanks you for coming everybody. on, guys. Great conversations. All right, guys. We'll thanks, see guys. you next week, every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Join us live. Anybody that ever wants to be a special guest, please reach out to us. You know where to find us on Twitter or where elsewhere. Reach out. Let us know if you want to uh, schedule with us to be that week's special guest. If you have something you want to present that's Monero or Freedom Tech related. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tux, let's run the outro. Thank you for joining us on this week's Monerotopia episode. We stream live shows every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern. You can find and subscribe to our show on YouTube and Odyssey or listen to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter or join us in the Monerotopia Telegram group. See you all next.